Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. And we have got a great, great lineup, as always, of callers tonight. You guys make my brain buzz with Frankenstein-like electrical excitement, and I appreciate that every single time. And uh, so we watched this uh, debate. Debate? Subjected ourselves debate. to it. Yeah, I mean, it's... Someone called it a pageant. That was the best description of it I've ever heard. <laughs> a pageant. It really was. I want to see Mike Huckabee in his bikini. I don't know if you want, but I guess we must have had the same dream. Um, but um, first of all, Mike Huckabee, nice guy. He really, really does look like a Looney Tunes character. Is it Deputy Dog? I'm trying to figure out who it is. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, so we watched this thing where, you know, solve all of the problems of the known universe in 30 seconds or less. Um, which people, see, you know, I guess because of intellectual weakness, seem to have a certain amount of difficulty with wimps. But um, uh, there were some accusations leveled against uh, Donald Trump. Um, Megan uh, Kelly, in full-on blonde viper mode, was uh, saying that... Uh, All types well, of he had this comments. Apparently. Yeah, it was a war on women. So, so apparently he had this... And you've looked into it a bit, Mike. Yeah, I uh, was this, this Twitter fight. A Twitter fight with uh, Rosie O'Donnell? It was more than just Twitter. They were on... A lot of mainstream news outlets. I watched a Bill O'Reilly thing that Trump did with uh, an interview he did on the whole Rosie situation. And it's like, all right, I need to know, how did this whole Rosie Donald Trump thing start? The things I never thought I would ask myself. Or know about or care about. Yeah. And it turns out it's all the result of the um, Miss USA contest. The person that won the Miss USA contest ended up getting caught by TMZ drinking underage in New York City. You, New York's 21, right? Uh, yes. Then she was drug tested, and they found she tested positive for the use of cocaine, heroin, crystal meth, and they also had photos of her kissing Miss Teen USA. I guess TMZ grabbed those or something. Where, um, where can I find these photos? I'll email them to you later. <laughs> later. Oh, dear. Could you perhaps just keep this topic going for, say, 90 to 110 seconds? We'll have the little buzzer go off like the presidential debate as you get close to the 90 seconds. Do you know what that buzzer should have been? Do you know what that buzzer should have been? Oh. <laughs> the American electorate has climaxed, and <laughs> you must stop. Um, it was actually somewhat of a scandal at the time. You know, Trump owns the pageants. You know, people are like, is there the scripper of her crown or, you know, what's going to happen there? Is her title going to be removed? And he said, you need to go to rehab. And I believe in second chances. He was actually later on Oprah Winfrey and said uh, his brother Fred died from alcoholism. And said, I believe in second Donald chances. Donald Trump's brother Fred? Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. He said, I believe in second chances. And sometimes it works when you give somebody a second chance. So he sent her to rehab. Didn't strip her of her title. She Wait, completed... he paid for her rehab? I don't know that, but I'd assume so. Well, yeah, you can't send someone to rehab, right? I mean, he, he may be able to break the minds of liberals by just by being in the same hemisphere, but he still doesn't have the power to compel people to... Can you to, believe okay, he so forced he paid, that young woman to go to rehab? That monster. Right, right. What a monster. He didn't strip of her title, gave her a second chance, let her go to rehab, and, you know, heroin, crystal meth. I mean, this is not just she got drunk. This is, you know, bad stuff. And um, now, apparently, she's working in drug treatment, and with a drug treatment group off this. So it seems to have had a positive effect on her. But this started with Rosie on The View when this was a, 
a big topic. Like she just came out and started insulting him, starting off by insulting his appearance, his hair, and sort of talking about his divorces and just rallied against who is he to be like the moral conscience, moral compass, I think is the term she used in situations like this. But wait a minute. Hang on. Sorry. Moral conscience. I mean, I'm not an expert. Uh, You know, obviously, girl on girl photos on the Internet. Yes. But specifics of the contracts of the Miss USA pageant. But usually there's a morality clause. Oh, I guarantee there's a morality clause in there because it's based. I mean, this stuff makes its money off of TV rights and sponsorships and appearance fees and that type of stuff. And do you want, you know, crystal meth smoking Miss Teen USA or whatnot coming over to your <laughs> your store to do an on sale or commercial? Well, appearance? until there's an actual state named crack whore, <laughs> like you can't have a winner from that category, right? But enough about New Jersey. All right. Um, so, so she broke her contract. It wasn't like he was just some finger-wagging moralist. She signed a contract basically saying, I'm going to comport myself in public in a way that is not going to be shameful or harmful to the image of the blah, 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 whatever it goes, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, she went off on him and, you know, insulted him pretty soundly, insulting his appearance too. And then he responded exactly how you'd expect him to respond if you've watched him in the public eye for any length of time. Back. Oh, yeah, he punches back. And he was, I mean, he was vicious towards her, her appearance, uh, and everything. But uh, Rosie did fire the first shot. And over, over of all things, him suggesting that someone on heroin, crystal meth, cocaine, go to rehab. Of all the things to get upset about, I'm trying to figure out why this is so triggering and why this is such a problem. I mean, he didn't enable her really toxic behavior. So she made fun of his appearance. How often has she been accused of participating in the war on men? You know, is Megyn Kelly going to ask Rosie O'Donnell to apologize for her foul, abusive, ugly attacks on Mr. Donald Trump? I don't and now, think that's you could say, of course, you could say, well, she's on The View, she's not running for president, but this is many, many years ago, mm-hmm. long before Donald Trump decided to run for president. So if R- Rosie O'Donnell were to ever run for office, would Megyn Kelly or whoever be all over her for her uh, attack on Donald Trump without any context, without any of that, right? Yeah, I'm guessing no. So seeing the origin of the whole Rosie O'Donnell thing, and then, of course, the claim is that, well, he's made these comments to other people, and he certainly, you know, he's called lots of people idiots and slobs and all that. I mean, it is Twitter. He's he's got his usual insults, and they seem to actually go to all genders. (laughs) Someone pulled up a bunch of comments of him calling these exact same insults to men as well. So it seems like he pulls into his grab bag when he's going to insult somebody, which, you know, not great. You know, not exactly a fan of of that kind of stuff. But if people punch him, he punches back. And that is Donald Trump. Like it or not, that's Donald Trump. And not, you know, I think there's something that the American public feels has been missing from the commander in chief is a punch backedness. I mean, you can swing wildly at 9-11, miss completely and hit Iraq. And that's not exactly (laughs) punching back. Yeah. Uh, that's like uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys. And then you go and you punch a Mennonite or something. It's just like ridiculous, right? So I think that they're looking, and they're certainly on the right, because they've been, basically the right has a, uh, an, abused, an abused victim relationship, a traumatized victim relationship with the verbal abuse of the leftist media. And they're looking for somebody to punch back, for somebody to not apologize. I mean, I think that I've certainly read this huge numbers of people who are massively, massively grateful that, Tom, that, that uh, Donald Trump did not apologize for the immigrants' remark. Right or wrong, you know, they just, they're like, for God's sake, can we get somebody in here who just doesn't apologize and grovel and back down? I mean, a lot of good it did Hulk Hogan, right? Mm. Yeah, he's still exiled. 
Then there's the other comment. She referenced also something said during The Apprentice. The person that he made the comment to was on media today talking about it. Didn't remember the comment. Had to look it up to see what was what. In the context of the situation, it was after someone had referenced her begging for her job on her knees. And he said it in a clearly joking way. And people at the table laughed. And she kind of smirked. Oh, yeah. I think I heard of... So so he was going to fire her from The Apprentice, right? And she was like, I'm begging you. I'm on my knees. And he's like, well, that's a pretty picture. You on your knees, right? And and now suddenly this is like Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, all kinds of sinister music, Death Star Destroyer music. He's in a Darth Vader costume. She's Princess Leia with her, you know, he's Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, it's just become okay. It's just, it was a joke, right? Mm-hmm. That's what she said. Her exact quote is, I think he's just on television. He's trying to be funny. He didn't mean anything horrible by it. And then she said she's always had a positive experience around him. He's been encouraging. He's never been disrespectful to me. So... Context is everything with this type of stuff. You know, you can take but a the important thing isn't, and... Mike, the important thing isn't whether it bothers the woman it was directed at. The important thing is whether it bothers Megyn Kelly. Political correspondence years later. Yes, yes. Right. And the other thing, too, like, I mean, he can't remember. I guarantee he's actually said, I can't remember. I can't remember all these comments. Remember everything you've said when you're, he's 67 years old, for God's sakes. I mean, what the hell is he going to remember from something years ago? And like, people pull it out of context. And you can... St- startle people with finding things they said, taking them out of context and jumping them on them later, right? I mean, it's like, I don't know, what did they say? But it wasn't, didn't bother her. She said she's always had a supportive relationship with Donald, so that's just a non, a non-issue. I don't know, if you look at the origin story of this stuff, and it's, I mean, you can say you don't like his quote-unquote tone on Twitter with the insults and stuff, and I can understand that, calling him an outright misogynist when there doesn't seem to be any evidence that that's the case, and the person that he supposedly offended with this comment on The Apprentice uh, didn't hit her as anything other than a casual joke. And she's always had a positive experience of guy. It's like, okay, can we, can we stop just trying to throw crap at people? Can we actually maybe talk about a subject or an issue that's important instead of just muckraking? But uh, such is the media. Well, such is the media with Donald Trump. Yeah, well, <laughs> Jeb Bush isn't getting raked through the coals. See, the, the, the GOP, the, the grand old party, the Republican Party machine, it stays in business if Hillary wins. It doesn't stay in business if Trump wins. So Trump is a bigger enemy than Hillary for the Republican Party establishment at the moment. I think that's fairly clear, and that's why they're going after him harder than they're going after Hillary, at least it seems that way at the moment. So. And he's got the power, because he could run independent if he wanted to, and that could severely hurt the Republicans. So he's got leverage on the Republicans on the grandest stage, and I can't imagine they're too comfortable with that, as evidenced by the he, first he question is, uh, was asked tomorrow, or, uh, on the debate last night. He's popular enough that he could start a new party. I mean, he's successful and popular and smart enough, and please, for God's sakes, people, will you stop saying he's dumb? Like, Oh, my God. Oh, God. I mean, hey, if it's that easy, if you don't have to be smart, just go out and make yourself 10 billion bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, like the guy got into the Wharton School of Business. That's not an easy thing to do. And he was a good student. Uh, and uh, anyway, it's just anyway, I just it's just it's, you know, come on, like, like, like disagree with the guy. Sure. But and I, I have to remind myself of this, too. Right. I mean, the hair jokes are boring and all that kind of stuff. Right. But but just dig into his issues, dig into his, his positions, and, and, you know, there's stuff to criticize, without a doubt. But y- you have to up your game a little bit. There are people who just fling idiotic ad hominems with no basis. You guys are just destroying Western civilization. So anyway, and, and I'd like to just stick with that. Again, I mean, the reason we're talking about this, because this is the symptom. This is something that is very different 
than elections and electoral politics in the past in the United States. This is a symptom of something within the American culture that is happening. That is incredibly important. What is happening in the American culture, this uprising of support for someone who is bucking the establishment, that is what's interesting. You know, does this mean vote for Donald Trump? Are we endorsing Donald Trump? No, I'm not voting for Donald Trump. I'm not endorsing Donald Trump. But the, what he represents and what's happening in the American culture is fascinating. And as far as psychology of large groups and mass movements, you want to pay attention to this because this is going to have a serious impact on what the United States looks like in the year ahead. And anything that we can like, we're an alternative media source, an alternative news source, an alternative idea source. And frankly, the mainstream media is standing between us and potentially intelligent people who could benefit from our information. So um, the mainstream media is showing its, tr its true colors with Donald Trump. And uh, that is a fascinating thing to watch. And the more that we can rip people's eyeballs away from the mainstream media, as uh, our good friend Paul Craig Roberts uh, calls it, uh, the prostitutes, uh, you know, the better off we're all going to be. So was there anything else that uh, we needed to rebut from that? No, that's all as far as those comments. And Oh, his, um, his bankruptcies. The guy has had five, he has 500 companies. Because, you know, 499 would be stupid. 501? That's crazy. 500, that's the sweet spot. So the guy has um, 500 uh, companies, and four of them over the course of his multi-decade business career, he's put through bankruptcy. You know, the debts just get too much, and, and so on, right? And... So out of, you know, this is, of course, less than 1% of his businesses over the course of his business career, he's completely legally put through uh, bankruptcy. And people, I mean, it takes somebody who stares at a camera for a living to imagine that this is somehow indicative of a bad business person. You know, you th <laughs> when, when the airplane is getting low because it's too heavy, you throw the heavy stuff overboard. <laughs> I'm not going to insert a Rosie O'Donnell joke here, however tempting it might be. I'm not going there. But, um, I mean, the fact that he jettisoned money-losing businesses, worked them through the, the perfectly legal bankruptcy system in order to uh, continue and maintain the health of his. He's like, well, thousands, hundreds of people were thrown out of work when you bankrupted those businesses. So I should have let them just take the whole organization and then tens of thousands of people are out of business? What kind of sense does that make? And he's never declared bankruptcy personally. But that's how it's portrayed. Yeah, you declared bankruptcy four times. I mean... That's simply false. When Donald Trump's business debt is forgived, bad. When Bernie Sanders offers to scrub clear student loan debt, good. Let's, just make, that's, let's make sure we have that clear. That's very important. Yeah, I mean, a guy who... Look, everybody look at the balance sheet of the goddamn United States of America. You're all going to need someone who knows how to steer an organization through bankruptcy proceedings. Because it's not going anywhere else. <laughs> not going in any other fundamental direction. You need this guy. Yeah, I mean, if he'd, if he'd done it 20 times, even better. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I just wanted to continue to point out this. this uh, I, I just, just tell the truth about the guy. That's all. Tell, just tell the truth about the guy. This is a big deal, folks, which is why we're talking about it. Some people really don't understand why we're talking about politics. Aren't you an anarchist? Yes, anarchist. This debate was watched by 24 million people. 24 million people. To put that in context, Jon Stewart's final Daily Show yesterday did 3.5 million people. This is a big deal. And what's happening with Donald Trump and what it represents in the culture and in society is a big deal. Those 24 million people in there weren't tuning in to see Scott Walker. 
And uh, so the world is interested. Americans are fascinated. And we're interested. And we're not going to hide it. We're not going to have this, like, affair with Donald Trump uh, and, and his effect on the media and his effect on the culture and his effect on the political landscape. And then pretend, you know, oh, man, you know, <laughs> that band sold out. I hate him now, you know. <laughs> I was only into them when they played small clubs. You know, now they're playing stadiums. They suck. No, we're not going to be a do for a hipster, cool person. He's fascinating. Sorry. He just is. And we're not alone in that. And we may wake up tomorrow with Donald Trump tattoos on our foreheads wondering what the hell happened. But he's interesting. We're interested. It's the newest thing that I've seen come along in the American political landscape in forever. Maybe Ross Perot, what was that, in the 90s? Yeah, he was running against George Bush Sr., I think. And so, yeah, you know, give us a, give us a as I say in my novel, The God of Atheists, give us a small honky-dick break. Uh, because he's, uh, he's, he's really interesting. Every 20 years, something really interesting comes along in the American political landscape. And we're just, uh, we're interested like everyone else. And we're talking about it, so we're not going to hide that. All right. All right. Let's move on. Well, up first is Pedro, and Pedro wrote in about the Donald. Uh, he said, Recent, you recently talked about the role of Donald Trump in the presidential campaign, and I thought some comments were inconsistent with what I understood you stand for on political action as a method for achieving a free society. Don't you think we should pursue any type of activity that could get people closer to rational and philosophical thinking, and that political action is one of those activities? Nice to, nice to meet you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Nice to meet you, Steph. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I talked to... Uh, people can watch The Truth About Voting, which I recorded, um, I think, in 2008. So, well, let's just say that's kind of a while ago now, seven or eight years or so. Now, I'm talking... I was talking about mainstream politicians, and, and the whole point of it is that um, the mainstream politicians are going to promise you something that is stolen from others. That's sort of the, the one argument. And stop begging for scraps. So th that's more aimed at people on the left who want something for nothing. The second, uh, again, this is, it's been a long time, but sort of second major argument is um, that the politicians are already bought and paid for. Right? Like I just saw this study that the heads of the major financial organizations are donating equally to Republicans and to Democrats. I mean, they don't, they don't care who's in power. So it's... it's it's, it's, one, it's not a two-party system. It's a one-party system run by bankers, right, <laughs> basically. And so that was all with the current landscape of the political people. And I'm saying forget about what they say. Just focus on what they do. Now, the reality is that no one like Donald Trump had uh, come along who had any chance of making an impact. Again, this doesn't reverse my fund fundamental feeling. But Mike, what was, what was Donald Trump's tax plan? Oh, put me on the spot. Let me grab it. Yeah, so we'll get... And I'm not saying that you vote for Donald Trump and this is going to happen. I'm not saying that at all. But my belief is that, and I, I've said this since the very beginning, if you believe in political action, if you believe that... Whoever, uh, Kucich or, or Walker or Bush or Donald Trump or Clinton or Sanders or any of them, if you believe that any of those people is going to make you freer, then you, sh you know, I've got my arguments. If you don't believe them, totally valid, totally fine. Then you should put yourself 
into doing that, into pursuing political action. Don't just pound some lawn signs and cross your fingers. Like, donate and get involved and try to make it happen and talk to people and try and drop up the vote. Really, really throw yourself 150% into this, uh, this kind of situation. And so, yeah, to people who think that Donald Trump is, is going to buy some time or get them some freedom or turn things around and so on. Now, Donald Trump, of course, is not, he says, I'm going to make America great again. What he means is that I'm going to get America, I'm going uh, to get, get the government out of the way between America and greatness. He's got a very simple tax plan. I think it's pretty much abolishing the IRS. It's one of these back of a postcard. And I know other people do. I think Rand Paul has one as well. But the odds of Rand Paul winning are very low. I wasn't paying much attention to Donald Trump until he became the front runner. I mean, the guy's doing over 30% in a field of 17 contenders. Has there ever been someone that high in the polls with a tax plan, even in the vicinity of this? Okay. Trump's tax plan. If you make... 30 grand a year, you pay 1% in federal income taxes. If you make 30 to 100, you pay 5%. If you make 100 to a million, you pay 10%. If you make a million dollars or above, you pay 15%. That pretty much bankrupts accountants and uh, the IRS, and you can do your taxes on the back of a postage stamp if need be. <laughs> it removes a lot of red tape and nonsense from the procedure, which seems to be in line with what he's talking about with essentially running America like a business. Yeah, and so he, he's, he's not like Bernie Sanders and, and Obama and like, I don't know, to some degree, Clinton, Hillary Clinton, they're all talking about we're going to rebuild America's crumbling infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to spend trillions of dollars with shovel-ready jobs to get people back to work. So that is not what Donald Trump is proposing. He's saying I'm going to simplify the American business environment. I'm going to let Americans create jobs rather than going around creating jobs myself with borrowed uh, money and so on. Mm -hmm. And, of course, lots of politicians will say that, but the reality is that he's not... He's not been bought out by any special interests. This is kind of an unprecedented thing in American politics. So Steve Forbes is another very wealthy guy who's had a flat tax idea for a long time and has funded a whole bunch of his um, uh, political work. And spending money on a political campaign does not guarantee you an election. There is no. an X factor. There is a wow factor. There is a charisma factor. There is a great communicator factor. There is a expresses the unconscious zeitgeist of a straining and strained population factor. And Trump has that. Mm -hmm. So lots of people have really tried to spend massive amounts of money to try and get elected. And then some doofus with, you know, the uh, sophist skills of your average carnival barker end up coming along and sweeping into power. So this idea that there's somebody who is not only wealthy, but has incredible name recognition, has such deep pockets that he is not beholden to special interest groups who shares a lot of libertarian views in the world. And he can't be ignored, which is the biggest thing. You know, Ron Paul, because um, that's a lot of people bring up Ron Paul, Ron Paul is never polling at 30%. Ron Paul was never a front runner. And Ron Paul wasn't a big enough name on a national standpoint to the average person to where if he talked, people listened. Ron Paul was able to be ignored by the media. 
and they could laugh at him, and there was polls that he would actually do well in that was just, they wouldn't report him, they'd leave him out. There was all types of stuff like that. And they could get away with that because not enough people knew who Ron Paul was. He didn't have a following. He didn't call up, he's not the type that could call a press conference and have, you know, all the New York City press show up and be excited to see him. But Donald Trump has that because he's been in the national landscape for multiple decades doing all types of stuff. So it's, it's such a unique situation that it's just fascinating to observe because he really, we called him the Frankenstein, the Franken-Trump candidate. But someone with these qualities, uh, I mean, this type of tax plan, yeah, good, good luck uh, making it onto the national stage with this type of tax plan um, and getting any attention and not being called a crazy kook. Try getting some funding from uh, corporate donors with this tax plan. You're not going to get it. You're, he's you're only able it. to talk about yeah. He's only able to talk about immigration because he doesn't take money from donors. That's the only reason that he's, this is the only reason that illegal immigration is even a topic in this debate. And so, it's a remarkable and sort of unprecedented thing. And of course, the other thing too is that Ron Paul, for all of his rhetoric, and I know he's got reasons as to why he did this, which I'll just touch on briefly. But Ron Paul was a massive conduit of federal money back to his home writing. I mean, he he got $10,000 for this and $50,000 for this and half a million dollars for that. And he just showered his home writing, his district, with federal money. Now, Ron Paul's argument is that, well, this money was already spent. It either goes to me or it goes to some other place and so on, which really isn't the point. The point is that if you believe, like you cannot achieve good in politics if you're beholden to special interests. You simply can't because you're lying fundamentally. Because to be honest, you'd have to say, well, the people who give me money are going to get way more attention from me than some anonymous voter, right? It's just the way it works. I mean, I'm, I'll talk to you, but I'm really listening to them. I guess my issue here is more uh, probably sentimental than logic. And it has to do with the fact that I myself am invested in uh, political action in my country. Hmm. Um, and for a long time, I've been hearing uh, speeches from you or uh, calls uh, from you guys talking about how, uh, you know, change will not come from political action and uh, how, you know, this uh, very good argument about you don't change uh, the mob by uh, infiltrating and uh, going up and, you know, uh, and I'm guessing since I was already working on that, uh, I kind of didn't want to accept the logic behind that. Um, although I don't have really great arguments against it. And then... Sorry, against against what? Against, oh, against my arguments about yeah. you can't change the math from within and so on? Right. Yeah. And then you come and start talking about Trump and how if he is able to delay the you know inevitable uh, collapse you'll take it so you know no I, no hang on hang on did we ever say that I it's an interesting possibility yeah i think you know in this conversation you three guys had um i really think i heard uh, from steph uh if he you know uh maybe delay was not there but i'll take it i think that's a phrase there oh I'll, I'll say this if uh, someone can bump my taxes down to, you know, one, five, ten, 
15%. I mean, I would take that. I would be very happy paying less taxes. I'd be happy paying for less uh, in insurance if he were to remove the restrictions uh, that are currently in place that don't allow you to bid outside your state for insurance coverage, which increases competition. That would make me happy as a consumer to have those increased options and have more of my money in my pocket. I'd be happy with that. And this is the difference between Donald Trump and Ron Paul and what we were talking about before and what we're talking about now is that Donald Trump and political action, this is not going to lead to a free society. We are not going to get a free society, i.e. a stateless society, a voluntarist society, through political action or through Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not running to create a free society. He's running to cut taxes, cut regulations in some case. Is that a freer society? Well, maybe it will be. He's also pro-military, very strong military action. Could that be really negative? Yes, that could be really negative. He's not running to create a free society. He's running as a businessman, trying to make the economy run like a business. And there are some potential economic benefits to that. There are some potential economic drawbacks to that. But it remains interesting. (laughs) It remains interesting. But as long as children are conditioned to submit to authoritative structures in parenting, as long as authoritative parenting like that continues, people are going to yearn as adults to submit themselves to authoritarian structures. And changing that pattern with adults is incredibly, incredibly difficult. Um, We have a presentation which will be coming out in the near future called The Death of Reason, which pretty much explains how trying to convince somebody um, that something that they believe is wrong with reason and evidence just emboldens that belief more often than not. And there's a scientific basis as to why. So even just rational debate with most people just emboldens irrational viewpoints that they hold. So achieving a free society when we've had entire generations of children raised in authoritarian structures, I don't think that's going to happen in my lifetime. I want to plant the seeds for that to happen in the future, but that that's the difference there. Whereas with Ron Paul and stuff, Ron Paul was promising, you know, liberty in your lifetime. And we're, we're not going to achieve a free society through political action. You, that's the whole, you can't uh, go into the mafia and turn it into a charity. You can't join the KKK and turn it into a black rights group. Yeah. But, I mean, but here's, here's, sorry, let me just add, add one thing there because I've always made the argument, this is going back to my speech in New Hampshire in uh, I think early 2009, I've always made the case that it's very hard for people to see the immorality of the state. Very hard for them to see the evil of the state. Even when Obama basically seems to have stolen an election by having the IRS target Tea Party groups. Yeah, cause, but, but see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Donald Trump versus the IRS. Donald Trump versus the grand old party, right? Donald Trump versus the mainstream media. You see, everyone who goes along, it's like if you're looking at perfectly still water, there's a tiny little current, and there's just a bunch of dandelion fluff, and everything's going with the current. If, if your viewpoint follows the dandelion flap, it just doesn't look like anything's moving. You have to change your viewpoint. Donald Trump gets into the political process. Let's just say he tries to put in, put in this tax plan. Can you imagine the unbelievably staggering shitstorm that he is going to be subjected to if he even remotely tries to implement this tax plan? 
he will be audited. Everyone he knows will be audited. Everyone who supported him will be audited. I mean, I don't know what sinister stuff can go on. I don't imagine that there's any limit to the amount of falsehoods that will be, uh, you know, who knows? Could be any number of things. Drugs could be planted on his kids. Could be like any number of things, right? And what will happen is people who are emotionally invested in a candidate who's trying to do something that they want will realize all of the unbelievable spears that will get raised against anyone who tries to break from the herd and fight back against the powers that be, even if he's president, even if he's worth $10 billion. What will happen is as he walks into that lion's den, everybody will start to see the lions. I think that's interesting. Is that, does he mean he's going to win against the IRS? I really doubt it. The IRS is a lot better at taxing than he is at not taxing, right? I mean, a lot more experience. But what will happen is, let's say that he wins the presidency and people are emotionally invested. They like the guy. He's popular and he's doing a whole bunch of stuff that they want him to do. And let's say he fails, which is the most likely outcome. Well, what is that going to tell people? Oh, do we just wait for another... Like, never. this guy's never shown up before in American history. Ever. So, are you going to wait another 200 years for someone like this coming along, or are you going to start to look for non-political solutions? Again, I'm not like, oh, I hope the guy fails so that we get... You know, it's nothing to do with that. If he gets power. Look, I mean, if Jeb Bush gets power, the same rhino, Republican in name only bullshit's going to happen where they sell the interests of the American voters to big business in, in groups and, and to the race baiters and all this kind of crap, right? I mean, all of the games in female employment since 2007 have gone to foreigners in America. All of them. Every single goddamn one. Now, foreigners work for less than local people. In a free society, having more people come in is fine. We're not in a free society. Um, so... The domestic population in the U.S. is dying on the vine. They are desperate. And Donald Trump represents that desperation. The republic is dying. You know, when he says, when he says, this country is in real trouble. He's not kidding. And the American population, significant portions of it, know that he's not kidding. The republic is on its last legs. This is like end of the empire fall of Rome territory. So if he goes in, well, if he gets voted in and he gets a bunch of stuff done, I will, it will be the happiest meal of crow I will ever taste. <laughs> you know, I will eat my own hat and say, this tastes better than haggis. Please don't look up haggis. There may be pictures. <laughs> right? So, the, um, the other thing, too, is, you know, do we want someone who's libertarian-minded in power when the shit hits the fan? I mean, I've always argued probably not. But uh, my prediction was that the Ron Paul campaign was going to be a massive waste of time, energy, and resources. I believe that was a fairly good call. Now, the Donald Trump campaign, if Donald Trump gets into power, either he's going to get stuff done that is of benefit to the majority of the population— great. Buys us some more time to continue spreading the message of peaceful parenting. I'm not saying I think that's likely, but I can't say that it's praxeologically impossible. It's not outside the fabric of the time-space continuum. On the other hand, if he gets in, this like once-in-a-half-millennia political candidate, if he gets in and can't do anything, 
These people mm-hmm. that are already frustrated. Can you imagine? Oh, they'll they'll give up on politics, and then what? At some point, libertarians are going to either achieve what they want through politics, which I don't think is going to happen, or they're going to give up on politics and get that it's about peaceful parenting. But why can why can't do why can't we do all? I mean, uh, you can. Uh, try to convince people about peaceful parenting uh, and also try to get some other people which is not going to be interested in that message through politics. And I don't know, I mean... Well, you can, Pedro, if you want. You can try and do both of those things. We have some pretty good arguments and have made cases as to why political action will not be effective to bring about a free society to the point where neither one of us are interested in spending time and energy towards the political process. But you're more than welcome to do it. I mean, Steph has said many times, if you really believe that political action is going to bring about significant change towards a free society, go in with 100%. Go for it. I mean, there are opportunity costs, right? You can't do two things equally well, right? If you, if you say, well, Steph, why can't I learn Mandarin and French at the same time? Well, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you can. But you won't do as well at either. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. I, I mean, the thing is, I'm not completely convinced, and maybe I was before, but then after listening to you a lot, you know, I've been struggling to decide whether it's worth it or not. And I'm involved in the Libertarian Party in Spain, uh, you know, and we do some some things. I see some people getting closer to a, a free society uh, mindset. Uh, sometimes it seems like uh, we're making progress there. I also, you know, uh, many of that or, uh, you know, most of those uh, people don't have children. But then I I had other friends who are never going to be on one of those meetings, but they do have uh, kids. And then I can talk to them about this other thing. So, I don't know. Oh, but then, I've, I've no problem. I've no problem leaving out breadcrumbs, Pedro, for God's sakes. Yeah. I mean, we, we've done videos on Justin Bieber, for God's sakes. Like, seriously. I mean, we've done videos on Paul Walker banging everything over nine days old, right? I mean, we, 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 we talk about mainstream cultural topics because that's how you get people into your conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's called outreach, right? So, yeah, we talk a lot about politics. Yeah. And uh, I think it's valuable, right? I mean, I, I, I can't say to people, you can't talk about... I mean, first of all, I can't say to anything about what they should or shouldn't do. I make my case. But, you know, so when you say, well, I can use politics to get people into <laughs> a more uh, intimate and actionable conversation about how they can be better parents or better people, or I, I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty... pretty <laughs> I mean, the show really began to grow when I began to do the True News segments. And now we're doing, like, I think we're just, we're brushing up against 2 million video views a month just on YouTube, not even counting the other channels, not even counting even more podcast downloads than 2 million. And that's not because I'm going through the praxeology of UPB over and over again. It's because we are laying out the breadcrumbs that lead people to an even deeper conversation. Yeah, I mean, UPB is like uh, the Bible, I mean... (laughs) Should be mandatory. Oh my God! I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't even tell you like how wrong at every conceivable level that is, except for the penis size of the author. 
which is infinite and frankly Old Testament based. <laughs> I thought it would be unknowable. Unknowable, that's right. Wait, that means really tiny. <laughs> unknowable. It's quantum. Wait, hang on. That's not right. <laughs> it's cold. That's more accurate. Um, no, that coffee. You, you mean it's sort of an ethical um, argument or guide, whatever, but I mean, it's, it's not really a very appropriate. <laughs> Your philosophy is like the apotheosis of superstition. Mm. What I mean is it holds uh, the highest standards I, I've seen on consistency, you know, and logic. And, and then it doesn't make concessions. And I think that's great because that's really the message we want. But then we talk about strategy and these, uh, what you call breadcrumbs. And I'm always, you know, debating myself on uh, should I just talk to people about anarchy and so on or should I start talking about just lowering taxes? Uh, you know, I, that, that's the internal debate I have. And uh, I, I've always thought you were the hardcore anarchist and, uh, you know, this uh, strategy was not uh, important, just tell the truth <laughs> why, whether why would you, know, you think that I'm, I, I don't know why would you think that you see me you see me I'm all over the um, the major news of the day right but maybe you do it so well that I don't notice that's the strategy I don't know I uh, now I see it you're talking about it it's look the, you, in terms of how to change the world there's no such thing as an objective strategy because changing the world is a conversation with two people in it, at least two people, hopefully more, right? And so when you say, well, I, I, should I do it this way? Should I do it that way? You have to listen to your audience. You have to listen to who you're talking with. Hmm. Right? So, so I was in a conversation a while back, um, doesn't really matter with who, but about, about Donald Trump. And this person was taking the usual sneering, oh, Donald Trump, can you believe it, right? I mean, oh, these, the America, America, you know, just this usual, <laughs> right, just eye-rolling. And, you know, I can guarantee you he watched a huge amount of Snot Me Some John Stewart and makes my eyeballs roll and my brain shut down. <laughs> but, um, uh, and, and he was like, oh, he, he's just got this big New York personality. I mean, if I chose to adopt that, I could make $10 billion too. Now, this is somebody who's not, um, not far along the road, <laughs> Of, of critical thinking, at least in this particular area, or, you know, in the realm of self-knowledge or anything like that. Nice enough person, you know, but do I sit there and start to talk about taxation as theft or, or, or the, the hideousness of the political process or the evil and immorality of the state and so on? No. He's like, I can't believe he said this stuff about illegal immigration, right? It's like, well, you know, the illegal immigrants are um, you're consuming much higher ratios of um, welfare and uh, 3,000 Texans over the last little while have been killed by illegal immigrants. That's like 9-11 numbers. So I said, I'm not saying I agree with everything the guy says, but this is the perspective that he's coming from, and it's quite a powerful perspective in the U.S. Disagree with it all you want, but you can't really sort of say, I don't understand why anyone <laughs> would be talking about this, right? It's like Pauline Kyle at the New York Times said years ago, I can't imagine how Richard Nixon got elected. I mean, nobody I knew voted for him. Uh, There's a world I mean. outside of your darkened door where blues won't haunt you anymore. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, uh, there's a whole world out there. And so it's just, that's just like a couple of little nudges. That's all. Not confrontational, not you're a jerk or 
you're just imbibing the mainstream media goop or anything like that. It's just like, well, you know, here's where the guy's coming from. Here's what resonates with Americans. And and I said, you know, I, I don't know that it's just that easy. I Lots of big, loud people in New York. They're not all worth $10 billion. I, I see what you mean. Actually, you destroyed my main argument before we started because it was Trump dumb, and that was it. So, <laughs> what, dump, dump to Trump? <laughs> yeah. And then I was going to follow and back that up with uh, his lo his hair looks like a raccoon, and that was the main idea. <laughs> I am, you know, I am not going to make fun of anybody's hair. Like I'm just, I'm just. That's not my. No, just you know, it's it's all envy for me. <laughs> I mean, okay, raccoon's still better than the moon. But um, but no, I, I I cannot for the life of me, and I'm really open to this. You know, we've talked about this a lot internally, and I welcome, of course, everybody's comments and feedback on this. But Pedro, I cannot for the life of me figure out how having Donald Trump in the race is bad for long-term prospects of liberty. I, just, I can't figure out how that's bad. No, no, I Does don't... Does that mean go I mean, vote for him, he's going to make you free? No, I don't say any of that. I just... Nobody has been able to grab the hearts and minds and balls of America like Donald Trump has. And what's interesting to me is that it begins to shake the matrix for people. So, you know, Ron Paul was not able, to, as far as I know, was not able to echo the sentiments of uh, the American population in something as visceral as, say, illegal immigration, which is what first vaulted Trump to the forefront of the American media storm at the moment. Ron Paul was not able to. And there is something in libertarianism at the moment that is, is very pro-multiculturalism. And, you know, please don't get me wrong. Everybody should be able to move in a free society wherever they want. Who cares? I'm not a busybody that way. But we don't live in a free society and... You know, if you take the entire population of Japan and replace it with the entire population of Mexico, the Shinto religion is going to take a little bit of a blow. And uh, it's going to basically be Mexico uh, surrounded by water with uh, a nice mountain in the middle. And uh, so, so hang on, let me, let me just finish my point and then I'll, I'll uh, of course let you speak to your house content. But, um, but what's happened is that Shaking people out of the matrix, out of this... The, the mainstream media is hypnotic. It's fast-moving. You ever look at those screens? But there's a reason why I have a blank background and no ticker tape of upcoming news items and no scrolly shit and no, look, we're changing the picture quickly, right? Like, I saw, I saw an interview with, uh, I think his name is Joe Scarborough. You know, the hunky college professor with the nerdy glasses. And, uh, you know, they're, they're having a phone call with Donald Trump. Donald Trump, not the most dull guy in the known universe, which is why 24 million people tune in to watch him debate. Now, can they, and they have the camera on the people. Now, can they actually keep the camera on the people who are calling Donald Trump? They cannot. They have to have sliding pictures of Donald Trump. And then they have to have pictures of Donald Trump at an airport. And then they have to have video of Donald Trump getting into a cab. And then they have to have a... And there's this hypnotic thing in that it, there always has to be something distracting so that the words don't actually sink into you. They look at TV. Yeah. It's always moving. It's like a kaleidoscope. And it's trying to put your brain into this dissociative beta blocker mode where things just absorb into you. 
Well, look at the debate last mm-hmm. night for a perfect example of that. Every 60 seconds, next, 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 next. Don't get too attached to what this person's saying next. We're moving on to the next thing, next. The debate moderators had 31% of the hour and a half. The <laughs> questions yeah. took almost a third of the entire time. There were three questioners, 10 guys on the stage, and the questioners, the narcissistic ass clowns, took almost a third of the entire time and started debating and arguing with Donald Trump. So, so and I'll, I'm sorry about this, but I'll, so I'll stop in a sec. But, um, but it's fascinating. I'm honest with you. I'm completely fascinated by it. But uh, Donald Trump has been able to connect into something. And what that does is suddenly... What people are saying is, wait a minute, is something being kept from me? Wait a minute, why haven't I heard about immigrant crime waves, illegal immigrant crime waves uh, in the South? Did anyone know about sanctuary cities before a couple of weeks ago? I didn't, and I, I find myself to be pretty well connected to this kind of thing. I had no idea. I thought it was like the worst named punk band in history. Or, or an, old, old, an old David Bowie song here in <laughs> Sanctuary City. But so, so what happens is when Donald Trump comes barging in and starts talking about illegal immigration, then suddenly, immediately, right, the media is full of, uh, some of the media is full of these. It's like when you talk about black and white crime. Like, has anyone had this experience where you read in the newspaper, some cop got shot or someone got shot, the suspect is at large. Okay, so they're really looking for someone. How about telling us which race that person is? But you can't find it out. I literally, like, I read these things now, just like, I know what's going to come. They might tell you he's in a windbreaker, right? They won't tell you he's in a hoodie, right? But, But you can't, and so what you have to do is you have to take the suspect's name, and you have to copy the name, and you have to paste it into Google, and you have to click on images, and then you will find out the race of the perpetrator. And when people really begin to suspect that they're no, they don't get news, they get hidden. It's not what they're talking about. It's everything they're not talking about that matters, that counts. Then what happens is they wake up and they realize that they're in a stealthily manufactured pseudo-reality where everything that is kept hidden from them is essential to their long-term self-interest. And so what happens with Donald Trump, why I'm so glad that he's doing what he's doing, is suddenly people are talking about illegal immigration, and they're talking about crime stats, and they're talking about welfare dependency, and they're talking about the... Now, we've been talking about this stuff for years. This is not a new topic for us. We did the truth of immigration over a year ago, if I remember rightly truth about the race war. And this is not new stuff for us, but what, what's happening is that people, like a large sections of people are going, well, wait a minute. Why the fuck haven't I been told about any of this stuff? Why do I know every single stupid thing that Justin Bieber has ever done, but I never <laughs> heard that 3,000 people were murdered by illegal immigrants in Texas? Why don't I know any of this shit, right? Why do I know that Julia Roberts may be embroiled in a $225 million divorce, but I don't know about the prevalence of black-on-white crime. Yeah. 
And why do I only find out that there's even a vague interest in the prevalence of black on white crime when some crazy evil son of a bitch goes and shoots up a church? So what happens is John Tom comes barging in, and as he said in the debate, this is a very, the most important thing Donald Trump said in that whole debate, in my humble opinion, is this. You wouldn't even be talking about illegal immigration if I hadn't brought it up. Yeah. So now people are like, well, why the hell haven't I been told about this? And that wakes them up to the degree to which they're being programmed. Sorry, go ahead. I'll shut up now. It's all yours. I don't doubt uh, about the importance or uh, freshness of this uh, Donald Trump character uh, bringing to the focus some important issues. And uh, and I agree, it's interesting, and uh, he's got something different to say. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to comment on a couple of things I really don't like about his... Uh, arguments and also disagree with you in one other thing which is not that uh, usual I and that's uh, makes it difficult to argue with you but okay uh, well the real praise the real praise is to disagree so so go ahead yeah <laughs> okay for uh, you just um, mentioned uh, how amongst libertarians you see some kind of leaning towards uh, multiculturalism. And I've heard your arguments about uh, how tribalism and, uh, and you know, uh, what a great tool ostracism is to enforce uh, social rules and so on. But let's say immigration and in a country like the U.S., I don't think it's really the same, meaning uh, even if you take the U.S. Uh, citizens right now, I don't think that's a... Uh, What's the word? Homogeneous uh, group of people. Margins, yeah. Like uh, you, you have like uh, I don't know um, different cultural backgrounds. Uh, Republicans, uh, uh, liberals. You have uh, high income, low income. So let's say even if you keep um, criminals from other countries out, you still have your own. And even if you keep people who's not uh, willing to reason and, you know, use uh, uh, um, intellect instead of force to resolve conflict and people who's uh, willing to treat their kids as persons and not as animals and so on, you still have lots of those people inside who are citizens. So I'm not sure uh, building a fence is going to really fix that. I don't know what you think fix about what? that one. Hang on, fix what? F uh, fix, let's say, they're talking about uh, start um, limiting the amount of people that, who comes in, uh, start paying attention on uh, if they're criminals or not, uh, maybe building a fence, maybe... Uh, I heard no something amnesty. which I don't know what it is. Some yeah, no amnesty on no this. No, but, but it's, you understand, sorry, sorry, but, but until 1965, America was like 95 to 97% European. Okay. And like Western European for the most part, right? You now, know that. in 1965, Edward Kennedy sponsored an uh, immigration bill that shifted 
where the immigrants were going to come from. They weren't anymore going to come from Europe. They were going to come from the third world. Now, of course, the promise was that this wasn't going to change American demographics at all, but it has. Yeah. And I am evolving in this area, and I am not on certain ground because it's a very um, tricky area to work in. I don't care about the political correctness stuff and all that. I just want to be accurate. But, you know, I've, I've had some significant criticisms of culture, right? Culture is everything that's false and so on. And I stand by that. that that's, the philosophically, can't argue with that. If it's not culture, it's science or math or facts or logic or truth or reason or evidence or whatever, right? But the reality is European culture, particularly Western European culture, has for thousands of years been waging a battle against irrationality and has had some success, some significant success. I mean, to take extreme examples, if you ask the average white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Frenchman how you determine the truth about the universe, he's probably going to have something to do with science, right? Scientific yeah. method, empiricism, whatever, right? If you go to a pygmy in the Amazon, assuming he doesn't try to eat you, he's not going to talk about the scientific method. So for over 2,500 years in, in the West, in Western Europe in particular, there has been this battle against irrationality. And that battle was fought at the cost of literally tens of millions of lives. And the product has been a grudging respect for reason, to some degree the separation of church and state, and to some degree a still fading but still existing commitment to free trade. And America was able to sustain those values when it had people coming in who were raised with those values. However, it's funny to me that libertarians, for instance, are like, you know, let's let as many people from Mexico in as humanly possible, because I've been to a lot of libertarian meetings. Not a lot of Mexicans. And there are, you know, in, I was, uh, went down and I think it gave, gave a great series of speeches in Sao Paulo in Brazil. With some, met some wonderful libertarians down there. But they were complaining that they are in the kind of minority that the only Jew in Nunavut is experiencing. <laughs> Nunavut, look it up. To be, to to be, fair, to be fair, libertarianism is also a minority in North America, isn't it? Of course it is. Of course it is. But it's, not, it's less of a minority. Okay. In the United States, you say libertarian. I think at least people understand vaguely, vaguely what you're talking about, like the average person. Well, no, just, just, go to libertarian, just go to libertarian meetups and, and count the gene pools. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm an empiricist. No, no, I know. I mean, maybe it's because I'm involved in the movement, and I, I know many authors from South America. Uh, in Spain, seems to be growing... Uh, Absolutely. Look, please understand, I'm not... But Spain is in Western Europe. <laughs> You're not arguing yeah. against my position here. Okay, but let's say... Y'all had the Spanish Inquisition, so there's some skepticism about the irrational power of authority over people. We also have the Salamanca scholars, and, you know, they, some claim they are the root of uh, libertarianism, even before Adam Smith and so on. 
But see how crazy this conversation is, Pedro, because I'm saying that sort of Western Europeans have a history of tradition, and you're saying, well, I'm in Spain. Yes. I, I guess. I guess I... Yes. I <laughs> this is my point. Okay, I Come on over. No, but <laughs> I'm, I'm letting myself be influenced by these, uh, you know, uh, Latin American people who say Spain is responsible for... Uh, uh, raping and uh, this and that, and we conquered there. And then, you know, some in some sense, uh, the cultural root, uh, you oh, know, we God. were the Inquisition. Fuck me, Fuck for me. I'm sorry, I can't bottle this up anymore. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I just can't. <laughs> I'm going to regret this when I sober up. <laughs> I am, but I'm going to say this shit anyway. Can I? Yeah. All right. To all of the people out there across the world who complain that Western Europeans colonized you, let me let you in on a secret. Western Europeans colonized you because you sucked. You sucked. Because if you didn't suck, you would have colonized Western Europeans. And you know that's true. Because every single culture throughout almost all of human history that had the power to dominate another culture went in and dominated that other culture. Western Europeans, through a weird, wild variety of choice and circumstance and genetics and environment and who knows what crazy primordial soup went into making this rather aggressive and highly creative race, we had, Western Europeans for a long time ended up at the top of the food chain. And of course... <laughs> Yeah, they went over and they conquered the Incans. Of course they did, because the Incans sucked. Sucked. They were sacrificing children. They had games which involved kicking a human head around a pitch which hasn't happened in British soccer. Actually, no, it happens a lot in British soccer. That's a bad example. We'll go, we'll go with something else, right? But the culture sucked. We're like, oh, the Native American culture here. It sucked. It sucked. Y'all traded Manhattan for a handful of beads. You <laughs> sucked. And so you lost. You lost. Because the Western Europeans had gunpowder, which I'm sure they stole from the Chinese. But guess what, China? You also sucked. Because you spent about 3,000 years photocopying every previous day and not getting bored of it. Western Europeans are stimulus monkeys. We get bored very easily. We like new climates. We like new species. With the reason we go around cataloging everything, because it's boring at home. And then when we get to some new place, we wait about eight minutes. This is the most glorious place I think I've ever... I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, the Sp Spanish people went and kicked ass over in the New World because the New World sucked. We stole the lands. Yeah, guess what? Every single piece of land has been stolen. I know white people have this giant guilt button, and I know that everyone who lost likes hammering this white guilt button because we spit up resources so that we'll, you'll stop feeling guilty. Every fucking person who lost to Western Europeans is like some new pope who says, give me shit and I'll try to stop making you feel guilty for about 15 seconds until I need more shit. The countries that were colonized are doing far better than the countries that were never colonized. You're welcome. <laughs>
<laughs> Not you're welcome for me. You're welcome from history. Look, just in case anyone thinks that I'm not being objective, can I tell you a secret? See, a long time ago, there was a Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire went north. Beyond all sense and reason, they continued to go north. Ooh, it's getting really cold and clammy and keep going. <laughs> Why? I'm cold. My, my armor is... Go, keep going. I don't care. Somewhere up there, there's a place called Scotland, otherwise known as the ass end of the planet. <laughs> And we've got to get there. Why? I don't know. We just, we're bored. <laughs> it's too sunny. I don't like it. Winter sports. <laughs> yeah. And so they kept going north. And let me tell you something. My ancestors, my ancestors were conquered by the Romans. And like we had our shit down, man. And we, we were painted blue. And you know, like when they go into Iraq, what do they have? Do they have armies and shit? No. What they have is the fucking blue man group at the front because then you're impervious to everything because we painted ourselves blue. You know, like the only thing left living after a nuclear war are cockroaches and the fucking blue man group. So they went north and they found these, these blue people, right? The, the Picts or whatever they're called. And we had a queen boat cheer and she had a chariot and all this sort of shit and she had like swords going off her chariot and like she she pimped out her mobile that's what i'm saying low rider with a lot of blood and the romans came up and they came to the bretons and we sucked we sucked and we were colonized by the italians and and that was so much better for my ancestors that we got our asses kicked by the Italians, because you see, the Romans were doing cool shit like reading and writing. Whereas we were just looking for more stuff that we could roll in to make ourselves bluer and therefore more invulnerable. We sucked way back in the day. We were conquered by people who sucked less. And I'm so happy that we were conquered by the Romans because the Romans left behind Bridges and sewers and <laughs> the aqueduct. <laughs> like, this is great scene yeah. from Monty Python's Life of Brian. You can look it up, right? What have the Romans ever done for us? Brought peace, uh, the wine, <laughs> uh, the aqueduct, uh, medicine, science, writing, law, <laughs> right? Yes, all of these things. And so, uh, you know, the fact that we were chasing the ass end of a wild boar every time we got hungry and then finding something inside it which we could use ourselves to look even more blue because apparently if our skin matches our eyeballs we're invulnerable even more we sucked we had nothing to contribute nothing to offer to the world stage we were stuck in the dull repetition of like halfway between caveman and whatever is one step beyond caveman i don't know living in a mud hut we sucked so this isn't about the incans because my ancestors in england sucked and they got their asses kicked by people who sucked less and we hugely benefited from getting our asses kicked and having the great gift of civilization bestowed upon us which we were unable to figure out for ourselves and that divine spark of civilization landed in ancient Greece it landed in ancient Rome and they spread it across the world, and the world has been immeasurably better. Because our asses were kicked by people in better fucking boots. 
And so all these people, with all the Europeans that are colonized, yes, you're welcome. Just as somebody calls out from Italy and says, oh, the Roman Empire, I'm like, oh, thank you, guys. Holy shit. We had no fucking clue what we were doing. <laughs> we didn't have a fucking clue. <laughs> we were like bonobos in the mist. Because it's foggy in England. So, like, thank you. I mean, our ancestors, you know, I don't know, like we were unable to invent the lever or the wheel because we were too busy having sex with knot holes in trees. Hope there's no woodpecker. <laughs> like we were doing nothing. We were barely outside the realm of animals. So this is not prejudicial towards any other culture. I'm glad. Can you imagine? I don't look that great in blue. <laughs> 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 now see and then they went into scotland and they were like fuck that's enough oh shit these <laughs> people i don't care if they're going to invent golf in 1500 years they're they suck but they're terrifying so they built hadrian's wall right hadrian's wall was this huge structure designed to keep the scots people from civilization as you can see from train spotting, it's done a very, very good job. <laughs> and then everyone from Scotland and everyone from Wales said, oh, fuck this shit. And they went to America and they lived in the South where they transmitted their terrible values to the slave population, hence rap. Even like the Ebonics, it's, it's just Welsh... And North England, Southern Scottish dialect. You be, he, that. You know, that's all. Right? They think that there's something to do with Africa. <laughs> nope. <laughs> In fact, it's the complete opposite. You ever seen a Scottish person dance? Anyway. So, you know, just people who are like, oh, you yes, Western Europeans. It's like, well, you know, if you hadn't sucked as much, you wouldn't have lost. As I say to my ancestors. Thank God for the Romans. Thank God for colonialism. Do you feel like that also uh, about the U.S.? It's been accused now about uh, because, you know, uh, going to some other places, using the military. Uh, even some people accuse the Coca-Cola to be uh, an imperialist tool and stuff like that. And, that, <laughs> and I guess that... Coca-Cola <laughs> I guess that... That, <laughs> that goes with uh, my other... Oh my God, yeah. Coca-Cola! It, it Holy goes shit! My so hang on, hang about... on. The British, the British spread spread quote civilization with like cannons and gunpowder, <laughs> and people got blown apart. And now, what's your big fucking colonialism? I burped. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is their big problem. <laughs> oh no, I'm oppressed. Oh, shit! You come up with your own brain rotting goo to clean your own pennies, and maybe we'll talk. But. I don't know. That's just silly. But so like America, that's just a whole other like America, the imperialist power. America sucks at being an imperialist power. Because it doesn't have a civilizing mission. Yeah. And it also well, goes too democracy. far. Sorry? Yeah, they but democracy is bullshit. Democracy. democracy is bullshit because it's just majority rule. Yeah. And, and America has this terrible habit of turning over the ruling of the countries it invades to the people who live there. Yeah. I mean, you didn't, see, you didn't see Rome spend 10,000 soldiers taking England and that 
blue-painted assholes rule the place. Because it takes a long time to civilize a culture. Sometimes hundreds of years. So America, it's too like, well, we're going to go in there, and then we're going to turn the government back over to the traumatized people we just blew the shit out of, right? It's not what the British did. The British didn't go into India and then turn over the management of India to the Indians. Again, I'm not talking right or wrong. I'm just talking about, you know, tides and movements of history and so on. If you remove mm -hmm. a dictator, you know, it's like if a church falls down, it doesn't make the people that previously went to that church atheists. It's what we were talking about, about authoritarian structures earlier, regarding Donald Trump and yes. achieving a free society. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't think imperialism is a great idea. The way that you spread virtues and values is through philosophy. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like imperialism is, oh my God, let's go and invade lots of countries. I think that's terrible. I wouldn't volunteer for such a mission and neither would I want my children going or, or my friends. or So I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying yay imperialism. But uh, sorry, you know, European team won. And they won because Europe is a really, really shitty environment to be stupid in. Whereas lots of other countries are great environments to be stupid in. Because in Europe, like if you don't plan and you don't defer your gratification, you starve. Whereas lots of other countries, there's just not that same weeding out of the less intelligent. So if it's any consolation, <laughs> you know, Western Europeans ended up kicking everyone's ass because nature had kicked their ass for about 50,000 years. And also because we banged a bunch of Neanderthals. But that's another story. Complete. It's another. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we achieve freedom. We need to find some Neanderthals and bang them. <laughs> I knew I was a reason. There was a, I knew there was a reason that I was hoping the whole world was into banging people with giant foreheads. I knew there was some reason for that. But that's a whole other, right, it's a whole other genetic story. But anyway, um, so, you know, massive suffering in Europe leads to a highly uh, aggressive, highly cooperative, highly intelligent population. And you can just, you know, look at the measurements of testosterone in various cultures around the world. And you, you get all this. You can look all this stuff up if you want. But um, so this is the idea, like, that I have something to do with any of this. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I cannot inherit my father's mere monetary debts, but... You know, 12 generations ago, somehow I inherit their moral debt. And that's only vaguely believable to people who've been exposed to the toxicity and self-shaming called original sin. Now the original sin is just being white. Yes. Well, the only other thing I wanted to comment on Trump is uh, he keeps on using the word we. We this, we that. Uh, you know, and some others have commented on this a lot better than me, like Jeffrey Tucker. He's, he's got an article, uh, you know, comparing, uh, like Trump seems to want to rule the country. Wait, as it is, I haven't read uh, this. Company. What does he compare? What does he compare Trump to? He says, uh, he's got an article on, uh, this, uh, um, platform called Liberty Me, uh, Liberty.me. And he says Trumpism, the ideology, and you know he he compares uh, Trump's uh, ideology to the uh, fascists and you know nationalist uh, uh, guys, and he you know Trump does say we a lot. He's a collectivist. He thinks the U.S. or at least that's the impression I get. 
is like a you know a big group of people uh, with the same goal, uh, which is uh, we have to do better than the Mexicans, and we have to do. Uh, China is winning us, you know, like. Uh, I, I'm not. I, I'm not explaining it yeah, as China's well as it does. No, I understand that. I understand that because America is subjected to a common framework of laws, and in that he's entirely correct. I mean, if if, if the IRS raises tax rates one percent, the entire tax-paying population of America, which is down to like three guys now, is uh, is subjected to it. So when he's talking about a we in a statist context, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, there's a we insofar as you can move to the 49th parallel, take one step beyond, and you're an illegal immigrant into Canada. The first in known history outside of the French. Ooh, I'm going to hit the mic. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, uh, there is a collectivism in America. It's called the legal system. It's called the voting system. I mean, it's called the government schools. It's called common core. It's called everything that the government does that affects everyone. So, yeah, I, I mean, I identifying that there are things in common in a status society is simply another way of saying it's a status society and therefore the rules and the laws are common to a wide variety and a significant majority of people. Again, I, I don't yeah, want to talk guess... about Jeff's article because I haven't read it, but the idea that, um, and, and, and you know, from what I've heard about from Donald Trump, he wants to reduce the amount of power and interference that people have uh, from the state to the citizen and all that. So, yeah, I, okay, he's a collectivist. Okay, he's a statist. I get that. He's running for president. I don't think anyone that uh, <laughs> runs for president is not, by sheer axiomatic definition, a statist. <laughs> if you're running yeah. for chairman of the mafia, you are a mafia member. This, this is part of it. I'm, I'm willing to grant that. I, I really can't see any way around that. But anyway, let's not talk about Jeff because he's not here and I haven't read the article. So, All right, listen, i got to move on. Is there anything else uh, that we wanted to – again, I know I haven't answered everything, and I really can't because you know, it's a big, complex topic. But I just wanted to sort of share some thoughts about it. It was great talking to you guys. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Up next is Jack. And you folks may remember Jack from the Challenge of Incomprehensible Bravery show, where he read his letter that he wrote. You made me cry, right? That's Jack. (laughs) You made me weep like an exploding fire hydrant (laughs) in a girly convention. (laughs) Jack called in about his son leaving uh, a military academy having to do with the show. And a really powerful letter. One of my favorite calls. And and Jack wants to talk about God. Welcome back to the show, Jack. Thank you. What's going on, brother? Well, uh, I've been thinking about this call for quite a while. I've got uh, my my last call was uh, just speaking from my heart and and uh, no real preparation needed, but. Uh, you just were um, ending that last call mentioning about the uh, really unfortunate people that uh, have been exposed to the idea of or believe in the idea of original sin, and I'm one of those terrible people. Right. Um, but, uh, but I have a kind of how I want to frame this discussion was in trying to present a belief in God that I that I feel is not irrational. All right, I'm all ears. Um, because I very much believe that, uh, you know, I don't want to put a number on it, but a, a, a very large percentage of 
of people's belief in God is very, very irrational. Um, I believe that uh, there's nothing more uh, a, no more powerful example of uh, that which is not true than most of our churches, uh, most of our religious teachings, certainly our schools. Um, and I don't think that, uh, you know, a belief in God has to be those things. So All right. I'll so give you it want a to shot. Make the, make the case? Yeah, give it, give it a shot. Now, sorry, hang on. Do you want to make the whole case? I'll take some notes, or do you want to like stop as we go? No, I no. I'll stop as I go. For goodness' sake. Okay. Uh, I'm not very good at this. I told Mike earlier that I was contacted by the Guinness Book of World Records after our last call for the number of times I set a record for the number of times I say you know. Uh, <laughs> I, Tied with the Valley Girls. <laughs> that's right. And so I would very much appreciate you stopping me as often as you like, because right. your input and your whatever direction you want to take this is is you know I you know I'm sure I'll get more comfortable as we go. Yeah. Um. So as, for as a background, I was raised Catholic. I went to 12 years of Catholic school, uh, but I I rejected that teaching in Catholicism when I was about 16 years old. Um, and when I was about, I guess, 16, you know, close to 17, I really started seriously searching for, you know, my searching for the truth, uh, searching for really meaning in my life. Um, and I'm not, you know, I, that's a lot of years ago, so I'm not sure exactly the order that things happened. But I remember uh, there was a, being in a Catholic school, we had a every year we had vocation week where the Christian brothers would come and try to do a pitch to us to join the Christian brothers uh, order. And as an aside, actually, that school has had something like 51 graduating classes. And there's out of the 51 graduating classes, one person actually became and, and stayed as a Christian brother. He was actually in my class. Um, so, so vocation week didn't work very well, but, um, unless the vocation set, was atheist or yeah. non-Christian brother, in which case, yay. But it, it sent me to several long nights out at the park near my house, just sitting underneath the stars and just trying to figure out if this was something I was supposed to do. And it became pretty clear to me after thinking about this a lot that it was not, um, but it, it really, I don't know if it was a, you know, again, the order of events is a little sketchy, but it, it really got me thinking, what was it that I was supposed to do really, you know, where was I going? I also had a great, uh, ad, uh, Jack, Jack, I, I, I hate for, to, Jack, I hate to interrupt you, but, but you did ask me to, I, I think if we go backstory, we're really shaving time off from the actual argument. Okay. Is my concern. Right? Because you're telling me sort of why it was in your journey towards the development of these ideas. Well, so, and, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna continue for just a couple more minutes and then we'll and tell me in a couple minutes if you think so. So anyway, I had a right. great I had a great admiration for Jonathan Swift and I but I looked, you know, and I, I thought he was really awesome, but then I looked at the world and said, you know what he what he did 
didn't change anything. We still, you know, it didn't matter. And, uh, and so I, I came to the belief that for the world to change, you know, this is like a 17 year old thinking that it really had to start with a person. Somebody had to do it. And then I thought, well, for that person to do this, they have to have really awesome parents. So I wasn't sure which one came first, but I thought, you know, the parents or, you know, but, but somebody had to, had to get this the ball rolling and a person probably needed to be a good person and a good enough person to take on such a challenge. They needed awesome parents. So I had this idea that, um, that it really came somehow from parents. And, and this has really formed my, you know, later my belief that, you know, when God created us in his likeness and image, he created man and woman. So to be a reflection of God, um, it ha- you know, it has to be a man and a woman, um, you know, um, so, and I'm just looking here, sorry for a sec. No, no problem. Um, so I, you know, I set off, you know, after high school, I had, I had uh, gotten accepted as college, but I didn't go right away because I just felt like I needed to find more means to what I was doing before I jumped into college. And, and I felt, felt I found that. And I studied and I came to believe um, a whole philosophy that, you know, most Christians would, would tell you, if, you know, when they heard the specifics that, I, that this person is not a Christian, he's a, he's a whatever, he's not good. But um, I believe that God created the world with a purpose um, and that he wanted us to, you know, he created man with, in his image, as I said, man and woman, and that we were to, to grow and to mature and to become a reflection of God. And in, and in maturity, when the time was right, to have children centered on God and and then to you know, take dominion over the earth. I mean, it's the three blessings, right? Become fruitful, multiply, and take dominion. Um, but I do believe that there was a fall, and it was a that 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 uh, you know before before man and women women were you know man and woman were mature, they had a relationship that wasn't centered on God. They had children that weren't centered on God, and and it and then all of human history has been God's attempt to restore what was lost at that time. Um, so in doing that, um, you know, I don't believe, you know, God, God in, 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 in his creation, he wanted, he wanted us to be in his image and in, in, to be in his image we had to become creators, you know, and, and really to be God-like, you, you, you have to be a creator and you have, to, and therefore, obviously we had our free, he had to, he, he had to give us free will, you know, unlike the rest of creation, humans have free will. And I believe that God is completely powerless to, to man's free will. Um, I believe that God is, a, a, you know, if I have an image of God, it's of a, a broken, miserable, sorrowful, um, 
being that a uh, being is kind of you know I don't know the right word, but uh, because you know, you know hu- human history has evolved so contrary to what his original purpose of creation was. Um, so he suffered as it would any <laughs> as would a parent whose children have completely you know evolved into this world that we have today. The people that are killing each other um, and are uh, destroy anyway, destroying each other in every way imaginable. Um, so it is, but um, I believe that the restoration happens through, you know, we have a, we say that, you know, rebuilding the kingdom of heaven through ideal families. I mean, I believe that it is our job here on earth, not somewhere else, not, you know, you know, something that we get later in life, but that we really have to build a, you know, that world that we're looking for here. It's not, you know, it's not do, you know, do certain things and follow these rules and, and you'll get there later. But uh, really, you know, what we, what we create here is what, is what we, uh, you know, we take with us. Um, Uh, hello. So I'm just. I'm anyway. I'm just uh, going through. I also. I have also. There's a uh, one of the things I, I sent to Mike. There's a a book uh, by uh, someone I'm sure you know. It's Napoleon Hill, who wrote uh, "Think and Grow Rich." He also wrote a book called "Outwitting the Devil." Or I mean, he. He transcribed notes that turned into the book after he died of called Outwitting the Devil. And uh, it's a, a book that he says was inspired by an actual conversation he had with the devil. And then he sa- it says in the beginning of the book, you know, look at the principles of these books. You know, he didn't care whether or not you believe he actually had such a conversation, but the principles were the principles. And uh, and that a lot so much of what he says just really rings true to me and what I believe. Uh, he, because he talks about, you know, at one point, he, again, pardon me, it seems kind of crazy, but in this conversation with the devil, he says, who are, who are your greatest enemies? And he says, all people, all who inspire people to think and act on their own initiative. He also talks about, you know, science versus religion and how, how impossible it is for him to control scientists um, he says, true scientists are out of my reach because they think for themselves and spend their time studying natural laws. They deal with facts whenever they find them. Um, their religion is truth. Uh, he says, what, what makes you worry? He says, you know, just even one thinker. My only worry is that someday a real thinker will appear on earth. Um, and, and so I, I really believe that that uh, that it's, you know, it's God, if, if such a God, if God exists and God created us, he, he can't, obviously he can't possibly violate the laws of science. He can't possibly violate, I mean, the greatest thing that we were given was our minds and our thoughts. And so 
you know, all of the, you know, the, we don't, I don't believe we need, we need religion. I don't, you know, I believe that, I mean, religion can, you know, it's, it's actually nice to have a community. It's nice to have people that you can talk to about ideas, but, um, you know, you don't need, um, I mean, as I believe my family is my, is my tool. I need my wife. And I believe my wife needs me. I need my children because they're, you know, the family I, I feel is, is my, uh, you know, it is again, my, my reflection of what God is, but I don't need, you know, a person telling me, you know, to follow him. You know, I don't need the priest. I don't need the whomever um, because I don't believe that's how God operates. Um. So I guess any this this would be a good point for you to interrupt. Well, um, interesting backstory, but my concerns are sort of justified insofar as I'm still not sure what your argument is for the existence of God that's rational. Okay, that's uh, like you you've told me that you think God is, you know, is is uh, male and female that God has as a tripartite process that God is sad. But these are not arguments. These are just thoughts that you have about a uh, topic or a subject. But there's no, there's no argument there, right? Like if you say, well, God, men and women together express God. Well, if I say men and women together express unicorn, I still haven't proven that there's a unicorn, right? No, it's, you're right. Um. And I will tell you also uh, that I have some trepidation about this topic simply because I certainly, as you know from our last conversation, enormously admire the moral stands that you've taken. And I'm concerned that if those moral stands are bound up in the idea of God, that uh, if, if the conversation uh, re results in a crisis of faith for you, that uh, oh. some of you, baby in the bathwater, you know, the moral resolution may also go out with the idea of a deity. No, you don't have to worry about that. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm quite certain I'm not going to have a crisis of faith. Okay. Had, you know, I'm. I'm. I've been doing. I've. You know, I've. I've uh, gone down this path for many years. Um, All right. So let's let's uh, with that having been said, let's uh, let's move on to the argument. So first of all, what is the definition of what it is you're trying to establish? What is your definition of the deity? My definition of a deity. Yeah, because there's lots of different ways to define. God, right? I mean, God, some people say, oh, it's the universe and everything and so on, which is just a synonym for the universe and everything, don't need something additional. Some people say that he is a, uh, a blue elephant-headed man with eight swords in certain Hindu traditions, uh, and some people say that he's got mortal elements or a demigod like some of the ancient Greek traditions. So what... Uh, I guess, what I, I, just, I mean, God to me is the, is the, you know, the, I guess the universal prime force, I mean, he's the creator he is the, uh, you know, the force behind the universe. He is, I mean, he's the, sorry. Well, no, that doesn't, like, again, if I say, if somebody doesn't know what a unicorn is, and I say, well, a unicorn is a creator and a force behind the universe, I'm not adding anything to their knowledge base, right? If I say a unicorn is a magical horse with a horn on its forehead, I'm a little closer, right? So what I mean is instead of, I don't know, it needs to be something concrete and specific that can be proven or disproven. Like, for instance, if you're going to say God exists, and then you say God is the force behind the universe, 
how on earth could you prove or disprove that there's such a thing as a force behind the universe? You can't. And if it can't be disproved or proven, it's not in the realm of philosophy. So what is the... Um, if you're going to prove that something exists, there has to be a possibility that that thing does not exist, right? Otherwise, it's a tautology. You're just defining something exi as existing, and then it turns out that you know everything exists because this thing exists, this thing exists because everything exists. So if you're going to say that um, something exists, like if I'm going to say uh, a rock exists, right, then there has to be a way of measuring whether the rock exists or doesn't exist. Otherwise, I'm not saying anything. In other words, if I say something exists, there has to be the capacity for non-existence and a way of measuring or testing for that non-existence. Right? So if I say a door is open, you can walk through it. If the door is closed and I say it's open, you can't walk through it. That's a sort of basic test for determining the truth or falsehood of what it is I'm talking about. So my question is, what is the definition of the deity and how would we know whether we've established proof or disproof of that deity's existence? Well, I, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I, I, well, I, quite simply, I can't. I mean, I cannot, I mean, I didn't come on here to, here to talk to you and to prove to you that there's a God, because I knew that wasn't going to happen. Wait, wait, hang on. I thought that's what we were going to do. <laughs> Maybe, Mike, did I miss something? I thought that you said that there was a way of establishing a belief in God that was rational. I, I, that was my I impression know, too, Jeff. I, I, okay. I mean, I did say that. I did say that, I mean, so much of what, you know, in your talks of disproving God, like you say, and one of the, one of the things you say is, you know, God's all-knowing and all-powerful, and that contradicts itself right away. Right. And so I don't... Is your, is, so is the deity that you're talking about all-powerful? Is there, like, can, can the old question... No, can, absolutely can not. Deity... As I said, he's completely helpless to, to our free will. Okay, so so your deity cannot like so your deity created. We'll just say God. I your deity sounds disrespectful to to your belief system. So God has created human beings who are capable of exercising free will, but God is it is impossible for God to um, to change that free will. Is that right? Yeah, he can't. He he has no control over our free will. Correct. I don't think that's entirely true if, I mean, and again, I don't know whether this is part of your belief system, but is there any divine reward or punishment for virtue or vice uh, after death or in life? Um, well, we have to, I mean, we, there, there is, when you, when you live with virtue, when you live with goodness, then you become a better person, and you become, you create no, I, I, no, who you are. No, hang on. No, I, I agree with that. So are you saying that is there no afterlife? Is there no reward or punishment for following God's commandments or, or being a good person? Is there no divine reward or punishment uh, not, in, not, in the not afterlife? Not reward or punishment in here you get the gold star and here you don't, and here you got to go sit in a corner because it is, you know, God is doing everything he can to bring you know, everybody back to, 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 you know, to win us back from, you know, a fallen state. Okay, so but what, is, will, what does it mean to say, hang on, so what does it mean to say God is doing everything he can? What, what are the uh, things well, that God I is mean, doing? Well, I mean, he is, um, he has determined to 
fulfill his ideal that he created the world with. Because because of the fall, we went in a different direction. What is, sorry, I, again, I don't know what, what it is you're talking about in any specificity. What, what does it mean to say, what specific actions is God taking or not taking to attempt to influence us to follow his will or his preferences or his values or virtues? Because, I mean, you know the standard Catholic answer, which is that uh, you go to heaven if you do good and you go to hell if you do bad. And, of course, that is not allowing us free will, right? And any threat of punishment or any offer of reward is no longer allowing us free will. Right. Right, because, you know, if I say, um, tell me that two and two make five or I'll torture you, right? This is the 1984, right? Freedom is the freedom to say that two and two make four. If that is granted, all else follows. And O'Brien and his torture of Winston Smith, we don't imagine that O'Brien is uh, offering Winston Smith, Winston Smith perfect freedom and intellectual integrity and following his own path of, of righteousness and truth because he's torturing the guy with electricity and, and with a helmet full of rats, right? So you can't, I and mean, this is not, if you reject this, that's fine, but in the Catholic model, you cannot coincide the promise or the threat of infinite torture or infinite reward with a respect for free will because free will when conditioned by such punishments and rewards, can scarcely be called free. No, I, I believe that in the end, when, when humanity is restored, when in the world is, you know, when the ship is righted, that everybody will be in the same place, that, that the kingdom of heaven awaits everyone. Um, so the murderer and the moralist uh, both end up in the same place. Yes, the, so there's no, there's no punishment and no I didn't just really no, want well, to I mean, I think no punishment and no reward. Punishment in that, you know, you 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 know as they you know what is bound and others is bound to have a human. You create and it's a long restoration happens. I most easily when we have a physical body, when we can you know when we can become you know good human beings and we can we can further God's will on this earth with a physical body. When we don't. I believe there is a process of restoration that is long and incredibly difficult. But Did you mean something like uh, limbo, um, no, which I mean, is I mean, well, uh, in the old Catholic? No, I just think that there's is... a spirit world, and spirit world has, you know, an infinite. I mean, every you know, an infinite. Just like people on Earth, there's an infinite number of layers of, of you know where you know where people are emotionally, spiritual, where they are spiritually. Uh, so if. Uh, if they were bad people, I mean, you know, Mao Zedong and, and, you know, Joseph Stalin are in really, really bad places. But, you know, the, the process of restoration, it may take, I don't know, you know, I mean, years kind of is a weird idea in, in spirit world. But, um, you know, restoration will continue to happen until, you know. A so there, there is punishment for misdeeds then after death? A punishment in that I wouldn't, yes, in, in that... You know, if you destroyed, you know, if you burned your yourself badly, then you have scars, and and you and you and you yearn for, you know, goodness when you realize what the hell you did, and you, you know, begin a process in in the spirit world to restore yourself to that, you know, that that goodness. You have okay, to, so. Just that I understand. So there are punishments. Uh, so it's not quite the same 
as, as free will. You say God wouldn't do anything to interfere with free will, but God has set up a system where if you do evil, then you're consigned to the spirit world for a certain amount of time, uh, wherein you are not as happy as if you weren't. I don't think God would consign you to. I mean, he... It's his system, right? Well, but you have to grow. You have, you, I mean, you know, human beings have to go through stages of growth. And you have to go through them sooner or later. And, and if you, you know, dig yourself an incredible hole, then you have to, you know, dig your way out. No, but it's God's system. Like if, if, if somebody says that uh, spitting on the sidewalk is illegal and you spit on the sidewalk and you go to jail, then it's the person who's defined that as immoral and uh, established the punishment and enforced the punishment who is doing that to you. So the, the spirit world would be part of God's system. Well, spirit world is, is you know, every, I mean, just saying everybody. You know, I mean, we, when we die, there's a physical world and there's a spiritual world, you know. You know that's, right, but what I'm saying is that the, God has set a system up whereby you are punished for failing to adhere to God's uh, will. Well, I don't, I wouldn't put it that way. I think that there is, there was a, there, there's a, uh, you know, there's a place where Satan has control. There's a, you know, Satan and, and God are, in my mind, quite literally at war for our, you know, for, for us. And, uh, and so, you know, God created a world in which he, you know, I, you know, I certainly believe that he knew the possibility of, of the fall happening and, and men, you know, and being rejected and having this world come to, to being as it is. But um, it's not, he didn't say, okay, I'm going to create this world. And then if people go, you know, people deviate, I'm going to punish them this way and that way. It's just that we were, we were, put on this earth and we had to grow into the beings that he, you know, that he created us to be. We had to grow into creators. We had to become, you know, God-like in our character. And when we failed to do that, we had to, we had to find a, you know, we had to get there sooner, you know, one way or another. Um, and, you know, so long as we have a physical body, we can get there, like I said, get there more quickly. But there's still, there's a vehicle. God gave us a vehicle, you know, certainly there's still a vehicle when we lose our our physical bodies to to restore ourselves to what, at that point, we'll know where we want to go. But, you know, we still have mangled, we, we have created, you know, for ourselves, we have created, you know, a, sorry, there's you know again. We have created a mangled mess. And okay, hang on. So again, this is just a bunch of uh, language, which I'm not saying is of no value, but it's not philosophical. So, so let me ask you this, Jack: Is does everyone start off with the same opportunities and capacities for good and evil? No. Is that fair? Um, I mean, originally, I think so. But if you have, you know, if your parents are, you know, really miserable you know, drunks and they, you know, and your dad was, a, uh, you know, went and, you know, had sex with everything he could find, you know, in, in, you know, the worst places ever and found the worst people ever. And then, and then they had children and they did the same thing. I mean, you're going to, you're going to create a, you know, I mean, that's just, you know, those people don't have the same chance as somebody who, you know, has a great family and raises their kids right. And then they have kids who raise their kids right. And, 
and they have kid and they study and they you know and they give their children opportunities and then they have children. I mean, those. And would it be fair to say that, say, my daughter versus Freddie Gray, right? The the um, the young man who who died uh, on the police van ride, who grew up in a single mom household with eating right. lead paint off the wall and stuff like that. Would would it be fair to say that we would not have equivalent capacity to exercise free will? They absolutely. Well, absolutely. They don't Wait, absolutely what? Absolutely yes or no? Good people, for sure. I'm sorry. They sure your your you know your daughter has a huge advantage. Yeah, because of course people who are raised in very abusive households, if their brain flips over, uh, and they become sadistic, I mean there've been very clear brain studies that show that the pleasure that you and I or the happiness that you and I would feel from doing something virtuous and and so on and and being good people that they pretty much have the same happy joy-joy dopamine centers that light up through cruelty, right? So in the way that our body is telling us, is, is rewarding us for virtue, their body is rewarding them for vice, for, for cruelty. Correct. And they gain significant amounts of pleasure and happiness out of sadism. Yes. And uh, so it's, you know, given, given that sadism has always, like cruelty has always been revolting to me, like even as a kid, the idea of like harming animals and stuff is just like hideous. Uh, and so, you know, can I really claim to be, wow, I've really fought that devil of wanting to blow frogs up with cherry bombs and, you know, strangle kittens and all that kind of stuff. I, I never wanted to do any of that stuff. I always found that stuff just hideous uh, in, in, in the extreme. And uh, I always gained a fair amount of pleasure from, you know, trying to be a decent person and all that. So my body is sort of leading me in the right uh, direction. But, of course, other people have the opposite emotional apparatus. And, and virtue makes them enraged and angry and hostile. And cruelty uh, makes them, like, coked up happy. And that doesn't seem really like a fair contest. You know, it's, it's okay to have a running race. People should start at the same place. They should at least be pointed in the same direction. Right? Whereas biologically, we're kind of not in, in a lot of ways. But well, it's but it's not it's not it's certainly not fair. Um, so I mean, I I definitely and it's you know strange terminology, and I you know probably will you won't like this, but I I mean I do believe you know as we in our parlance we say that you know there is the original sin which which separated man from God and and really. Uh, basically put, you know, Satan in charge. And, but there's also, you know, as we were talking about that kind of sin, you know, Freddie Gray is his name or, uh, uh, those people, I mean, they, what I would call that is inherited sin. And it's, uh, it's the fact that they, yeah, they were, they were, they had a bad, you know, dealt a bad hand, but it's the reality of, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years of, of, you know, this world being a pretty fucked up place. But if, if I were a deity and I wanted to design beings to pursue virtue, wouldn't I also design an emotional apparatus that would encourage them to do so? Right? Like if I want a robot to head north, then I should build in it a compass and I should build into it um, a motor. And I should say, when the compass heads north, that's where you go. Now, if I built an emotional, like a, a, a robot that, that I programmed to head south, could I really then get really angry at it for not going north, right? And, and so if God created the emotional apparatus 
evolutionarily, we can understand why cruelty would beget cruelty, because that would be um, what the tribe lives on and, and how to get reproduced and, and all that. But so biologically, the, this sort of sadism versus the emotional apparatus of virtue makes good sense. But if we're talking about God can design humanity, then it would not seem fair to have, you know, say all, all the robots that go north get a prize and, and all the robots that go south get broken up and then program some robots to go north and some robots to go south and then say, oh, the robots are going south are really bad, bad robots. I'm going to break them up, right? That would be kind of rigging the game, right? Well, yeah. And so... I, I, so that's true, but that's not. I mean, I, that's not what I believe happened. I mean, there was there was you know the original human ancestors that fell, and you know generation and generations or you know however however it happened, and I'm you know that's a whole. But they, you know, people went their own ways. I mean, God created humans with the capacity to become, uh, to you know to grow to perfection, to grow to be to oneness, where where that stuff didn't exist. Because once he, they became one with God, they would their actions would would they would understand uh, God's heart and God's love, and they would create families, you know, cer- you know, certainly closer to you know what you are creating today. But okay, but no, see again, we're just I think we're just getting a lot of word fog out of this, right? Look, the the, the idea of me hurting my child is horrifying, right? I mean, it's inconceivable. Yet, there are lots of people who take great pleasure in hurting their children. Now, God could have designed the human emotional apparatus to, as you and I are, uh, to, to be repulsed by evil doing and to love virtue, right? He could have designed, no matter what, you know, you raised up bad, you raised up good, he's God, he can design you any way you want, right? any way he wants. And so he could have given within human beings, regardless of the peace or trauma of their upbringing, the same emotional apparatus to yearn for virtue and to recoil emotionally from wrongdoing. But the reality is that if God designed humanity, then he designed humanity to adapt to an evil environment by having a strong emotionally positive reaction to evil doing and a strong negative emotional reaction to, to virtue which is not fair. If you're going to punish people for uh, vice and reward them for virtue, and then some people are made happy by virtue and made horrified by vice, and some people are made horrified by virtue and made happy by vice, then it's not a fair fight. It's not, it's not a fair uh, race. It's not a fair judgment, right? Well, I'm not sure why what I was saying is just words, because I tried to counter that by saying that... that I mean, I believe that God created us all with the capacity, you know, created man with the capacity to, to do those things, but they had to grow. There, there was a growth period that they did not fulfill, but, uh, but it will happen. I mean, there, there are, you know, people will change. I mean, people, you know, I, I, I believe that. Yeah, no, are, no, the reason I'm saying word fog here, Jack, is that I'm putting forward an argument and you're not addressing it. Okay, so the argument is... Some people love virtue and hate evil. Some people love evil and hate virtue. And it has to do with how they're raised or the trauma or negativity or hostility or rape or whatever it is that they're exposed to as children, right? Okay. So if some people love 
virtue and hate evil. And some people love evil and hate virtue. And it's not their fault in many ways. Then how can it be fair to punish people for actions of evil when those people have been programmed to love evil and hate good? From, from a, I'm not talking from a, like a human civilization. I'm talking from a, 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 a deity standpoint. I, I because understand. God, can, God designed the emotional apparatus. I, well, I don't accept that like God is punishing him for that. I, God is, and we all have to grow to uh, completion, perfection, whatever you want to call it. And we can do it more easily. We can become better people more easily in the physical world. Or if we don't do that, we have to do it in the spiritual world. And those people just have, who are in that situation, just have a longer course because they have to, one way or another, they have to develop the character. They have to okay, change. Let me, let, me, so let, me, let, me put it, let me put it another way. Let's say that I give you, somebody gives you an eye, a... a um, uh, was a scavenger hunt, right? And for me, they've marked everything correct on the map, and my GPS is working perfectly. Right. Whereas for you, everything is marked wrong on the map, and your GPS is reversed. Yeah. Is that fair? That's not fair. Okay. That's my point. Um... Emotionally, things are marked wrong on the map. Vice is pleasurable. Virtue is horrifying. Their GPS is reversed in that their emotional apparatus is telling them to do all the wrong things and punishing them for doing the right things, which is the opposite for good people. And because it comes out of their environment, it, it's hard to... And again, from a God standpoint, it's hard to blame them. They're not responsible for their environment. So it's not fair. But it's, 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 yeah, so, so... And... I mean, so God, I mean, there, there is, you know, Satan definitely took more control over some people than he did over others because there was a, there was a condition to do that. Uh, and God is working towards bringing those people back to him, bringing those people back to an enlightened state. So it's, if they've got a longer course, they've got a more painful process than you or I, but not saying that, you know, I, I don't have my own problems, but that. Uh, they certainly have a more painful process, but they will get there eventually. Um, and how do you know any of this? Like when you say the spirit world, how do you know about the spirit world? How can you prove or disprove its existence or non-existence? Well, I certainly would never be able to prove it to you. Um, I've had... Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. no you can't, I can't say to me. No, you can't say to me because if okay. something is proven... It's not proven to a specific individual. Like, you can't go to a science yeah. conference and say, I have fusion in a jar, but only for Bob, not for Sally. So, so there is nothing how do you I know, that there's, how do you know say, that there's such a thing as a spirit world? Yes. I mean, I have had experiences, I've had several experiences in my life that lead me to believe that the spirit world is very real. I guess I don't need to, I, you know, very silly. Okay, it's real. Um, 
you know, I could tell you experiences that I had that led me to believe that that's true, but I don't know if that would do any good um, because there were. Well, that's not verifiable, right? And no, right. I'm not putting exactly. you. I'm not putting you in this category, of course, right? But there are people who think that they're Napoleon. There are people who hear voices in their head. There are people who have detailed psychotic visions of other worlds. Yes. Uh, there are people who dream so vividly that they believe it's real. There are people who have. Um, you know, waking uh, dreams that uh, there are people who get hit on the head. There are people who have brain tumors. There are lots of ways in which people have very vivid experiences of things that aren't real. But I don't believe that my inability to prove to you that the spirit world is real is a disproof of the existence of God or the spirit world. It is. It is because you're proposing something that is radical when it comes to existence and reality. Like if I say to you, oh, Jack, there's a stone somewhere in China. You'd probably say, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm down with the stone in China because what I'm proposing is not really out of the ordinary, right? But if you say that there is a realm that is immaterial that people's souls can go to wherein there are spiritual paths of healing and growth and surrounding of evil and so on, you are proposing something that is metaphysical in nature. It is about the very nature of reality. And you're saying that there is a ghost within me, which is a very radical thing to say. You're not saying, Steph has a liver, <laughs> right? Because, yeah, people have livers. It's not that remarkable a statement. But if you're saying, um, Steph is a robot, like if, if somebody were to say, Steph is a robot, a very well-put-together, hyper-verbose robot, well, that would be kind of an unusual thing because there's no robot technology that can do this kind of uh, work in the world. So that would be a kind of remarkable thing. Or if you were to say, Steph is a space alien from Beetlejuice, that would also be a remarkable thing to say. Or if you say, Steph can live without lungs because he processes and receives his energy through photosynthesis, that would also be a remarkable thing to say. So when you're proposing something that is remarkable, then the burden of proof lies on you. And if you fail to establish that burden of proof, then the person who disbelieves is not obligated to do anything else, but can reject your proposed belief. Right? So if, if you say, Steph's a robot, but I can't prove it. Well... I don't have to go around cutting up Steph to find, don't, don't do this at home, right? I don't have to do anything. I don't have to lift a finger. And if you say to me, um, I have a, uh, uh, a, a pet invisible unicorn, then you have to provide me proof of that pet invisible unicorn. I don't have to run all over the universe to disprove this idea of a pet invisible unicorn. Right? If, 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 if you say to me, I have lived for 10,000 years, I'll say, okay, that's a pretty remarkable statement. If you say, I've lived for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or whatever, okay, human lifespan. I'm, I'm, you may be lying to me, but it's, you know, I'm not proposing anything hugely radical. If you say, I've lived for 10,000 years, well... That is a remarkable statement that would seem to fly in the face of everything that we know about biology and longevity and cell decay and so on. In which case, I would have to, 
Now, I would require proof in order to believe this extraordinary statement. It's the old thing, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And if you were to say to me, I have lived for 10,000 years, but I can provide to you no proof, then your assertion doesn't even sit in the realm of maybe. It sits in the realm of no way. Like, no. It, is, it fails. It cannot be sustained. It, it is not up to me to disprove that you have lived for 10,000 years. Like, because I, I don't know, I'd carbon date you or something, and it would turn out that you lived for 50 years or whatever, and you'd say, oh, well, carbon dating, my, my you know, my 10,000-year-old body has cunningly reorganized itself so that carbon dating doesn't work, you know, or whatever, right? I mean, whatever. So every time I'd come up with a way that I could disprove it, if you keep moving the goalpost, your claim is false. It is invalid. Like if I say, uh, I have found a way to travel at the speed of light by running. Well, that's a pretty extraordinary claim. <laughs> and if I then said, well, yeah. I'm, never going to, I'm never going to show you how that works, is it like, well, maybe he can run at the speed of light? It no, would you, be like, I mean, that you, you, you've exhausted the need to okay. come up with examples. I get what you're saying. Um, but you know, I wish I had a better response. I mean, I remember, and I don't even know if this is fair, but I remember listening to a podcast you did when, uh, and I don't remember his name, a great libertarian thinker died. Um, and you were, you oh, Harry Brown. Him. what's that? Harry Brown. Yeah, Harry Brown. Sorry. Thank you. I was drawing a blank. And you said, um, you know, so if, 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 the, you know, I don't know what you said exactly, but it was like, if heaven does exist, you know, I hope he's in a great place or if God does exist, I hope he's, you know, whatever. And, Clearly, you don't believe in God, and yet the thought entered your mind enough to make that statement that, you know, if there's even a, a tiny chance that there's, you know, there's, there's, there's an, more life out there after death, then I certainly hope Harry Brown is in, or I, I, I assume that Harry Brown is in a wonderful place. Um, I probably said if there were life after death, Harry Brown would be in a wonderful place. No, you, you, anyway, you know, no point in arguing that. But yeah, I think you said if but, there but is. E yeah. Even look, but even if I did say what you said, and if in a moment of grief I right. allowed sentimentality and my early Christian training to overwhelm me emotionally, I would not consider that to be any proof of the existence of an afterlife. No, I understand. I understand. That, that it was a way of me expressing I, I, I uh, my grief. To use it, I understand that completely. But what I'm right. saying is that, you know, we would never say, God, if there is a chance that 2 plus 2 is really 14 then I hope I wasn't wrong that it was four. Um, so I, 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 I have a hard time. I mean, I, I get your examples. I, I do. But uh, I don't know that if God existed, if God, if God exists, which I very clearly believe he does, or it does, uh, it, they do, whatever. Um, pronouns are difficult. Um, then uh, I don't know how you would prove that. I mean, right. If it were true uh, that there was well, a... Well, I know, I know. There's, there's many, sorry to interrupt, Jack, there's many different ways that the existence of a deity could be established beyond any shadow of a doubt. I mean, I can just give you one off the top of my head. Please. So if, if, if... Uh, 
if we have some conception of a deity, of a God, it must be because that God has impressed himself into our consciousness in some manner. Right, so God can't talk about free will if there's punishment and reward. God can't talk about free will and then command us to do stuff and give us the Ten Commandments and hover over us and judge everything. You can't have free will and that kind of eye-in-the-sky, constant-scanning Gestapo stuff. Like, you, you can't. You, one or the other, right? Free will is the prime directive. You don't interfere. In fact, you know, you're not even supposed to know that James T. Kirk is up there having wild bonobo sex with multi-tentacled space alien twins or something, right? You're not supposed to know... So if there was a God and he gave us free will, we would never, ever know that there was a God. Because once we know there's a God and he's told us what to do and he's punishing and rewarding us, we don't have free will anymore. And so, it's, you know, like, I mean, it's like saying, well, rats have free will, but I'm going to shock them if they do this and give them food pellets if, if they do that. Well, then they don't have free will anymore because you're conditioning what they do, right? And so if God did create humanity and God that truly bestowed free will upon humanity then God would never appear within the mind of humanity because that's putting your finger on the scale. That's fudging the experiment, so to speak, right? And so if you believe in God, it's because God has impressed himself upon your mind, which means you no longer have the free will that God was supposed to have given you because he's telling you what to do or giving you this idea of the spirit world with punishments and rewards and virtue and commandments and all that. But... Since God has now impressed himself upon your mind, you have access to divine knowledge. And the way that we would establish the existence of a human being's capacity to be a conduit to divine knowledge is we would simply keep asking questions that only omniscience would know. And if I kept asking you questions that an omniscient being could only have the answer to, and you kept answering them correctly, then either A, you are that omniscient being, in which case, kudos, freedomainradio.com slash donate. <laughs> Give me the world, right? Or B, you have a direct conduit to that omniscient intelligence, and that omniscient intelligence is giving you the answers to the questions that we're asking that only an omniscient entity would know. That's just one very simple. No, but that, I mean, so I don't... You know, maybe I don't completely understand that, but I, I, that's if somebody could get a divine, I believe somebody could get a divine inspiration about something um, and not then be suddenly all knowing and be able to answer all your questions. No, no, but like God knows where Jimmy Hoffa is buried because God knows everything. And well, so if I ask you, where's Jimmy Hoffa buried? And you ask God and God tells you and we go to where Jimmy Hoffa is buried, then either you killed Jimmy Hoffa or you're God, one of the two, right? Uh, or, or, you know, you could come up with any, uh, you know, what's the price of Apple stock going to be tomorrow? Uh, okay, well, omn omniscient being would know that. And, and if you had the answer to that and we verified that it was correct, um, how many strikes of lightning are going to be in this thunderstorm? You ask God, God tells you, you tell me. And if we keep asking you these questions and you keep getting them exactly right, including knowledge which no human beings have at the moment, right? Like, I don't know, whatever scientific uh, problems there are. What's the unified field theory equations and all that kind of stuff? That would be a way of saying, well, look, you clearly have a conduit to a higher intelligence, whether that's space aliens, or whether that's God, or whatever we would call it. Uh, that would be an example. Yeah, but I don't. I mean, I don't believe that God, that the price of Apple stock next week is something God knows. So he's not all knowing. No, I mean, bec no, because because 
Because again, well, okay, but hang on, hang on. What would be an because it's free will, right? What would be an example of something that didn't involve free will that God would know? Like unified field theories. I mean, God designed the universe and all the laws of physics, so God would know all the laws of yeah, physics. Right. Right. So, so if I asked you physics questions which no human being had the answer to, and you kept providing yeah, more that, and oh, more answers. Yeah, that's a better answers. example. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, so that would be a way of 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 establishing the presence of a wildly intelligence, uh, a wild intelligence or an, an unfathomable level of intelligence and knowledge that you would have a conduit to. So that, that would be a pretty clear way of, of establishing it. Especially if there was no known method of communication, like we put you in some lead-lined, you know, like no microwaves, no cheats, no Bluetooth, no Wi-Fi or anything like that. If we put you in some sealed chamber, a bath escape or something, a lead-lined whatever, right? And you were still able to provide all these answers, that would be a remarkable uh, support to the idea of, of a deity. But that also, to me, turns God and the idea of God into some carnival act. Um, but, I mean, I... No, no, that's just... You know, God has designed us to uh, be skeptical, right? Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's not a carnival act, right? If if I say to you, uh, you know, give me five hundred dollars and I'll send you an iPad, and I send you an empty box, and you say, "Hey, man, you got to provide the iPad," and and I say, "Man, you're just turning me into some conjurous trick, some like, like what am I supposed to be? Some sort of Penn and Teller magic show where just iPads pop out of me randomly?" It's like, no, you got to show me the iPad because that was the deal, right? And if God says you need to obey my commandments but I'm not going to show myself in any way, shape, or form to you, then that's not very fair, right? Well, I certainly believe in a more enlightened state we would, we would you know, have a, uh, a, a greater, we would have an ability to communicate more directly with God, um, Okay, then there must be someone after 10,000 or 50,000 or 150,000 years of humanity, there must be someone who has reached an enlightened enough state to be able to communicate directly with God, in which case we ask that person for the answers to these physics problems that no one can solve, and we're on our way. Um, I don't believe that that's necessarily true. I think so if after 150,000 years, Jack, there's no one who is spiritually enlightened enough to talk with God... Maybe the standards are a little off kilter. If you've got a project called Bring People Close to You and after 150,000 years, they're still not close to you, you may not have designed the experiment very well. Yeah, things are pretty fucked up. I mean, you know, he said, it says, you know, he was sorry he made man. And then it says, no one is righteous. No, not one. I mean, there's a... So God is very bad at creating good people. The, the, the... The no, fall, hang on, hang on. The fall of God man is very pleasant. Hang on, hang on. So if, if I say I want to produce a car that works, and after 150,000 years, I still can't produce a car that works, does that sound like I'm a very competent car manufacturer? No, it does not. So if, if God has this plan to create virtue, to create good people, and after 150,000 years of human history, there's not one? Doesn't he kind of suck 
at making good people? Well, I believe that it's happening. Um, but I believe that, um, that the, you know, fall of man basically allowed Satan to claim ownership of, you know, humankind, you know, you are of your father, the devil, you know, and, and the, so, so this, the but this is another way, just sorry, this, but this is just another way of saying that God is very mad, very bad at making good people. And then punishes people for God's design being so flawed that after 150,000 years, he can't even find one good person when that's supposed to be his express goal and intention. How the hell are we to blame for a bad design? I mean, if I, if I throw all of my seeds onto concrete, do I then get to jump up and down at them for being bad seeds and refusing to give me food? No, I'm just a shitty farmer. And I don't know how to say it more clearly. Again, I don't feel he's punishing you for being bad. Well, this is the problem with religious, right? Because you've already said that, that uh, those who are bad go to the spirit world rather than someplace better and have to work things out. No, and no, less everybody goes to the spirit world and everybody's but for different lengths to get... of time. What's that? But for different lengths of time, depending on their... No, no, the spirit are. world is just a word for where we go after we die. Everybody, same thing. So my, you know, my failure to communicate. Um, so everybody goes to the spirit world and we're just wherever, wherever we were at, you know, whatever we created for ourselves on earth is what we, is where we're at. Right, but it's it's um, and then we for those who are grow. murderous, because we already had this part of the conversation, and it's kind of this is the talking in circle stuff that drives me nuts with religion. Whenever we feel we've got something nailed down, it seems like the definition changes underfoot. Because I asked you if there are punishments and rewards. You talked about the spirit world and that bad people, it takes longer for them to work out their bad deeds or, or become enlightened or become better souls. Spirit world is just, there's two places, the physical world and the spiritual world. So I, I I did say that we all we all go to spirit world, and we all are what at whatever level we created for ourselves is where we're at, and we have to continue to grow until we become uh, whole. Right, and so those who st- you said if you dig a hole, right? So those who've done evil in the world have more to grow in the spirit world, right? That's correct. And I assume that it's a negative experience not being all the way grown. Well, Steph, I mean, if you're, so if you were, uh, uh, you know, some person who, who's, who's born in, you know, the projects in Baltimore versus, you know, versus your daughter, that person's going to have a much, much harder time becoming a good person than your daughter is. But is that, is that punishment? I mean, or is that just that person just has a rougher course to become that person still can become a good person, but he's going to have a much, much more difficult path. Is that God punishing that person? No, it's it's a circumstance that that person is in. I don't know why I, I, I mean, I just can't, I, I never, I don't accept that God says, okay, you're bad. I'm going to punish you. I mean, that, yeah, that person's got a, a really bad situation from years and years of, you know, uh, you know, evolution that brought him to a really bad place, you know, and, you know, your, and your, your daughter got, you know, a straight flush. So, 
So the people who are saying to the children and to the well to everyone really about heaven and hell, uh, they would be of the devil. Is that right? They would be what? They would be uh, motivated by and ruled by the devil because they're spreading lies about punishments and rewards that God doesn't agree with. Oh, I think so. Right. Right. So that's not fair either, right? Because children are grown up, uh, are growing up with people saying, I represent God, the Bible represents God, and God is telling you this, and hellfire and damnation, or heaven and reward, and so on. And that's how children uh, grow up. And uh, because of a belief in God, they don't bring the same amount of critical faculty to these arguments than they would if some philosopher came along. Like if some philosopher comes that's along and says, say here's virtue, let me, let me finish. So if a philosopher comes along, if there's no religion, right, and a philosopher comes along and says, this is goodness, this is evil, this is right, this is wrong, this is truth, this is false. What does everyone say? Bullshit. <laughs> don't believe you. Yeah. Prove it. Yeah. Right? But uh, when there's a deity involved, when there's a God involved, when there's religion involved, people's critical faculties take a nosedive. And so if you really want to spread virtue, uh, you want people to be critical so we get the best theories of virtue, the best theories of good and evil, the best morality. And so one of the basic problems I have, why we're on opposite sides of the fence as far as this goes, Jack, is because by promoting religion, you are demoting people's critical faculties. And by demoting people's critical faculties, you're actually kind of serving the devil. Because by promoting religion, you are promoting the transmission of these ideas of heaven and hell. And, and, and damnation, and the Old Testament, and hell punishment, right? Whereas if you were against religion, and against the idea of God, then it would be up to philosophers to tell people what good and evil is, and you wouldn't have priests slithering in to indoctrinate children, which is supported by your view of God. You're actually serving God much better by rejecting God, having people be skeptical, having them not swallow uncritically the punishments and lies of religion. Because I don't get to give heaven and hell to people. I would consider it highly immoral to threaten people into accepting an argument that would no longer be accepting but merely complying under force. And so by promoting the idea of a deity, you indirectly promote the idea of religion. Through that, you promote the transmission of anti-rationality through threats of heaven and hell. So I can't understand how you're not serving the devil if you say, well, religious priests serve the devil. Okay, how do you oppose priests? With reason, with evidence, with philosophy. But you still want the religious stuff, which gives all the power to the priests and lowers people's capacity for critical thinking, which transmits the very ideas you say are the most pernicious. If you said all morality must come from reason and evidence, I'm going to reject the idea of a deity so that people can use their reason and their evidence. Because surely the idea of faith and eternal punishment and reward scratches and destroys and undermines and shreds free will far more than reason and evidence and philosophy. So if you were to push back against the idea of a deity and say philosophy must be the arbiter of that which is good and that which is bad, people will be radically skeptical, which is great. Because skepticism is the whetstone upon which the blade of reason and evidence is sharpened. 
So if you were to reject the idea of a deity and a spirit world and this and that and the other, people would have to approach the questions of good and evil with critical, free-thinking rationality and skepticism, which would actually give them back the free will that you claim you want them to have so much. just a possibility. No, I, I mean, so most of what you just said, I'm with you. Um, you use religion and God a little bit too interchangeably for my liking. Um, but I understand, I mean, I certainly understand why, you know, why people do that. Um, I, I certainly don't promote religion. Um, and I do believe that uh, that uh, science. Well, I got to be careful what I say here. I do believe that most priests and and I, you know, anyway, I don't know rabbis. I don't know. I don't have background in, but they. You know that they are very much um, certainly if they preach fear and 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 hellfire and you know and uh, eternal damnation are uh, are doing an incredible disservice. And anybody who does anything to you know get people not to think is doing bad, a bad thing. Um, I also don't know, I've had this discussion, um, I've tried to have this discussion with several people, and if I have it with people that don't believe in God, if I have it with my son, it's a duh, but I say, you know, let's have a discussion, would the world be better off if no one believed in God? And this, you know, try to have that discussion with a bunch of people who do believe in God, and, um, and I very much believe in God, but I'm not sure what the answer to that question is. And oh, I don't think it's necessarily true that the world would be better off if nobody believed in God. I'm not. Well, I, but I think it's a, an interesting conversation uh, because certainly a lot of a lot. I mean, just to have the discussion of you know how much bad has come from people not believing in God and how much bad has come from people believing in God. I mean, and there are two very different kinds of bad. Um, but uh, you know, we've had. Uh, so I, I don't, I accept the fact that, you know, a lot of what you said, the, the whole idea that, you know, pushing people to thinking critically and thinking rationally and, and all those things are good, but I, I, I anyway, I, I not, haven't done a good job, but I just, I, I it, it pains me that, that. You know, when I listen to this, you know, this, this proof of God and those things that, that, uh, you know, if there was a creator, I just don't think that, that, um, that creator is done justice by, you know, the, the most, any religion of the world, because they're so off base. They're so, they're, they so misunderstand, um, that the nature of that God. So, you know, I guess now we are going in circles and I'm not doing, you know, justice to this. So. Um, well, listen, I mean, have a, have a listen back to this, uh, this conversation. And, um, I mean, just 
uh, I will too, right? Have a listen back to this conversation and uh, just see uh, whether you feel that it's promoting rational, independent, empirical, skeptical, critical thinking or not on, on your side. I'll listen back to it too because maybe you've made great points that for whatever reason I've missed. And you know, if, if that's the case, of course, I'll, you know, we'll get back on and continue to, to chew it out. But um, because you've, you've basically said I've got a bunch of beliefs that can't be proven or disproven, it's, uh, it, to my way of thinking, and I think it's fairly clear, it's not encouraging people's independent, critical, or rational thinking. If they feel that what you say is true, then they'll agree with you. And if they don't, then they won't. But it's not, not a really capacity to build a bridge of reason across this chasm. Uh, so that would be well, my, but, my but suggestion. I, I mean, but I'm, I don't do that. I mean, I, you know, I... Um, I don't... I mean, I had this conversation, and I, I, I mean, I started on this path... I mean, actually, my originally my first thought was after my conversation about my son was to to have a conversation with you about the whole series of but my parents are nice because that's what really you know was was a a uh, a big hurdle for me uh, a difficult and it's certainly a talking something that I want to talk about but um, and I really did hesitate about going down the God path. Uh, Mike mm, thought it I'm glad you did. And that was it. I, I find these conversations very enjoyable, so I'm I'm glad you did. Um, but, uh, the, you know, when I, if I talk to somebody on a personal level, then I, you know, I will tell them, you know, specific experiences I had that led me to believe that God exists. And I don't, I don't promote religion because I don't think, you know, religion has, you know, done, and I don't think I in an ideal world, there is no religion. I mean, come on. There's there, everybody, you know, we, we, and we don't have priests who, you know, we have to go through to get to God. Um, and we all have to grow and whether we, and we either do it now or we do it later. Um, and that's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's, I, I don't believe that it's a punishment that there's somebody out there doling out rewards and punishments and you, you know, you get your gold star and you don't, I don't believe that there's somebody out there heading, you know, building you. So you head North and you head, this person head South. I believe that there is a, a God who created the universe that it went horribly wrong and he has spent human history trying to reverse that. I believe that we are at a time when that is being reversed. I believe that, um, you know, I, I hesitate to you know, sound like I'm blowing smoke out here, but, but I mean, I believe that, you know, the power of this show is part of that process that people are becoming enlightened. People are becoming, uh, uh, People and and you know there's a, you know 150 years seems like 150 thousand years or two whatever it is you know however many millions of years seems like a really long time to you or me, but uh, but things could you know there could be you know a, a major dam breaking and and I believe that it really takes you know a couple generations I believe that if people start you know raising our children nonviolently if people start thinking rationally if people start doing then we will have a absolute you know watershed moment and i believe that that's happening um so you know 150,000 years is a really long time so you could say oh he sucks at this but uh um uh, you know things could change and you know a thousand years could be but a day well, and I certainly, of course, want to recognize and respect from, you know, from earlier conversation, the degree to which you have contributed to that positive change in the world is stellar. Uh, it is like <laughs> a supernova. And so, and, and for those who don't know, Will, 
we'll put a link to the uh, earlier conversation that that we had. And so, you know, wherever we disagree in this realm of of the deity and so on, uh, I'd rather have <laughs> I'd rather have a billion people like you than a bunch of atheist uh, socialist whack jobs who don't ever talk about parenting in any sensible way. So. Uh, I just really wanted to, you know, we, we're far closer to me on the stuff that matters. No question about it. We are distant on the stuff that is less important in terms of practical application, if that makes sense. No, no there's no, that, I have no doubt about that. Oh. Excellent. All Excellent. right. Okay, well, have a listen, have a listen to this. Uh, l- let me know what you think, and perhaps we can talk again. And again, I really, really appreciate uh, the call. I'm going to uh, bring the show to a close. I'm sorry for the person who's waiting on the dream, but uh, those take a long time. And uh, as, uh, as I exposed myself to toxic political processes last night, I didn't sleep as well as I wanted. Uh, my energy should not be peaking, and I always want to give a better show with more concentrated mind than to uh, have a longer show with a less concentrated mind, because, you know, every listener deserves as much attention as I can bring to bear on the question or issue at hand. So I'm sorry that uh, I'm going to make you wait, but uh, I promise it will be better <laughs> later than it is now. So thank you, everyone, so much, of course. Now, Steph, real quick before we go, can you just explain a little bit, because I'm sure people are going to be curious, why the world would not necessarily be better if everyone was an atheist? Just a short bit to uh, parse it out for everyone. Well, I mean, atheism is the rejection of a particular form of superstition. It's a rejection of a particular form of irrationality. Now, of course, people who are raised in irrational and authoritarian environments, whether they're schools or churches or, or the family structure, the sort of family of origin structure. If you're raised in, in, in an irrational and authoritarian structure and you get rid of uh, the idea of God and you don't also at the same time confront the trauma of having been raised in a bullying and authoritarian structure, then you will run to another bullying and authoritarian structure, whether that is socialism or, uh, or Marxism or radical feminism or political correctness or, you know, the usual lynch mobs and witch hunts of the modern religious person without a god, then uh, we are not particularly better off. Religion is safer than statism because your neighbor can have a religious belief. It does not directly impact you, but... Um, when your neighbor believes that your taxes should be doubled if you get enough of those, you're, you, know, you have half your money, so to speak. So merely saying, I reject one form of irrationality is not enough to say, I have now embraced rationality in all of its forms and manifestations. And it's sort of like pushing in one side of a balloon. It just pushes out the other side of the balloon even more. And if you have been raised and your emotional apparatus is tuned to submission or dominance within an oligarchical, hierarchical, aggressive structure, whether it's the state or a church, if that's where your emotional apparatus is, if you take out God at the top of the pyramid, the pyramid still exists and it creates a power vacuum. And into that power vacuum generally rushes the state. Which is why when Marxism gets rid of religion, it doesn't bring freedom. It brings secular tyranny. 
And uh, we've got the truth about Marx. If you'd like more on some of the mental mechanisms by which that reproduces, but uh, as I said to uh, to Jack, I'd rather have a lot of parents like him, who I strongly disagree with in terms of metaphysics and epistemology, but strongly agree with in terms of ethics, than some atheists who I may have more agreement with in metaphysics or the nature of reality and epistemology or the study of knowledge, but in terms of ethics, we wildly diverge. Well, the ethics is the whole point of philosophy, and so I am much more content with those with whom I share the ethics rather than those who I diverge on the ethics but share more on the epistemology. Epistemology isn't going to throw me in jail. Ethics will. Epistemology is never going to get me sent to a gulag. Ethics will. So that's, does that sort of make sense? Makes sense to me. Staves off some of the emails I know he's going to get, so thank you. <laughs> thank you for parsing that out. And if anyone still has questions about that, feel free to write in. Happy to schedule you for the show. And thanks everyone that called in, and thank you, Steph. I know you didn't sleep a ton last night. Thank you for staying up late with us. My pleasure. FreeDomainRadio.com slash donate to help spread the conversation. And uh, you know, there's nothing else like there. There's nothing else out there like this in the world. And uh, I think in history. So uh, please help. Help us spread philosophy. Help us do our part to bring the most necessary medicine to a most hurting world. This is Stefan Molyneux for Free Domain Radio. Have a great night.